Hi, I'm Eric, also known as v 47 from the Ranger Command Power Hour and the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. It's morphin' time! It's the Ranger Command Power Hour! Today on the Power Hour, episode 214, Ranger Command at C2E2 2023. Recorded at the show March 31st through April 2nd, 2023. Welcome to the Ranger Command Power Hour on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. Simon Ranger up with your host, I'm Eric, also known as TrekkieB47. And I'm Teresa, also known as ThatGB17. <laughs> and we got our little son. RJ. RJ. Yeah. Oh, you want to talk into the podcast? Okay. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by our patrons on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash rangercommandph to learn more about supporting Ranger Command Power Hour. Thanks to our $5 and above patrons, Chris P., Steve F., Steve M., Jacob P., Tyler W., Leland D., Charlie M., Brian M., Craig M., Liz M., Mason M., Steve R., Hassan A., Josh P., Tyler B., Derek G., and Teresa B. for supporting us this month. Remember, you can go to linktr.ee slash rangercommandph, as well as our Amazon affiliate link at amazon.com slash shop slash rangercommandph. We're going to talk a little bit about our experience at C2E2, which is the Chicago Comic and Entertainment Expo, March 31st through April 2nd. And we've covered the show plenty of times in the past, and this year we're also lucky to get a press pass at the show, not only for myself, but for Teresa. Uh, We went to a lot of different panels and had some interviews, which you will hear on this podcast. And I think this year was a return of them trying to go back to their... Yeah. This year was a return for them to go back to their original date. And we're just going to record some of our thoughts of, of what we thought of the show and all of that. The how many times have you been to C2E2 now? I started in 2015. Yeah, and we've pretty much gone every year, right? Yeah. Yeah, so the last C2E2 right before the pandemic was, well, they had one in 2021 and 2022, but the one in 2022 was only seven months ago. That's when we first took RJ. That was his first convention, and he was only two months old and then for them to normalize the dates back to when they have it in march and april and next year they're late april which has always been their target they've always been an april convention or tried to be in that march april may time frame so this was their attempt even though the gap was was seven months from the last c2e2 they brought back the show in these seven months so now rj went when he was nine months old and I think he had a pretty good experience because we took him two of the days yes. on Friday and Sunday. We went all three days. I think there was a lot of great moments. Um, what do you think was your like most favorite interaction or like panel or shop or? So my favorite or most memorable was on Saturday because we brought along my niece Abby. And that was her first convention. And she really wants... Well, how old old is she? She's 11 years old. 
and she has been watching anime through YouTube and all that and Crunchyroll and when I told her last time that we were going to convention when she was last year she was really wanting to go yeah. for, with us so I'm so happy that we did bring her along right uh, with us so that was she was so thankful excited <laughs> bought a lot of stuff <laughs> And she actually said to me for the next year she wanted to go with us again. And I told her she needed to start saving. And she was like, oh, my gosh, it's so hard to, to save. But I told her to yeah. <laughs> just try. And, yeah, she was very excited. And I was very happy. Um, that was the mo- most memorable of, of, of this year's C2E2. That's definitely something to remember is that C2E2 is a very kid-friendly convention. It's a family-friendly convention, even for little kids like RJ. And I think that's what I love most about C2E2 is they really try to make it a family convention. There's uh, family activities. They have a whole family programming track for kids. There's... Uh, an entire area of the show dedicated to to family. There's it's called Family HQ, and that's where you'll find uh, family friendly activities like uh, build models and coloring, storytelling, storytelling. They have the Star Wars 501st yeah. uh, costume area for all the kids to meet their favorite Star Wars characters. And so it's it's very family-friendly and very family-inclusive. And in fact, Sunday is family day. And they also have discounted rates for children under a certain age. So I've always felt safe at the convention. It's at McCormick Place in Chicago. And their security is really good. They always do bag checks. It's definitely very friendly because I think one of the biggest things that RJ was excited about was the gigantic uh, cookie monster, Mecha Cookie, from Mecha Builders of Sesame Street. And that was the, the biggest thing. What, what did you think about uh, Mecha Builders, baby? The Mecha Builders. So yeah. Well, he's cranky right now. But, um, yeah. And then we took, we took RJ on Friday and Sunday. And, again, we had a really good time. And then throughout this episode you'll find the different panels that we'll go through i think we're gonna wrap it up and then uh i'll cut in every once in a while with uh introducing the next panel personally i had a great time the lines for certain people were very long so uh unfortunately didn't get any autographs did not get to talk to uh yeah we didn't get to talk to johnny and bosch because his line was out the door but you will hear, yeah, but you will hear his panel later on. And then I'll also highlight in, in the time codes, uh, Power Rangers specific mentions, uh, especially for once and always. Yeah. Yeah. This is your podcast debut. Yeah. Teresa, anything additional you want to add about C2E2? I'm just thankful that we came to C2E2, even though it was seven months apart. Now we have a whole regular year to get back to it. <laughs> That's right. So hopefully next year more. I feel like there was not a lot of um, major ones 
major celebrity. But then again, there was Chris Evans, Dante Bosco that we wanted to go. Yeah, we wanted to go to Dante Bosco and meet him for uh, the last Airbender, and his line was crazy too. So, and and Chris Evans, that was completely ticketed, yeah. organized, like they had. Uh, VIP tickets that were like 500 bucks or something. It was crazy. Um, I don't even think we saw Chris Evans, like even like walking around or anything. They, they kept that very uh, secure for him. Yeah. So we didn't see a lot of the same vendors that were there (laughs) at the last show seven months ago. Yeah. That's what um, I'm kind of like busted for this, but not really, you know? Yeah. Um, Toki Doki was not there and all that. And, even though they announced it. And Bandai was not there either. So, so. so hopefully next year I have, I, I still need to <laughs> fill out their survey. But um, hopefully next year we might see Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. Jenny Ortega. We were chill, I think, this year. Yeah, we were pretty chill and... You'll hear the different uh, panels that we have. I was very grateful for the press opportunities to talk to Kevin Eastman. Uh, we also have Kyle Higgins from the Massiverse panel. Uh, the Johnny Young Bosch panel was really great. Um, so, you know, despite there not being a lot of like major names or major dealers at the show, we still had plenty of Power Rangers content. And hopefully, you know, that can expand uh, next year. So uh, really grateful to C2E2 for the opportunity for these press passes. And I hope you enjoy the rest of our coverage. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Say bye, RJ. Say bye. Say bye. Okay. (laughs) Bye. The first interview of C2E2 Weekend was with Global Comics founder and CEO Christopher Carter and head of business development Eric Tapper. This is at the Source Point Press booth, and they were kind enough to show me a demo of Global Comics' app. The app features many of the biggest publishers in comics today Image Comics, Boom Studios, Archie Comics, Tokyo Pop, Storm King Comics, TKO Studios, Bad Egg Publishing, Interpop, Paper Cuts. Valiant Entertainment, Top Cow, Source Point Press, T-Pub Comics, Mad Cave Studio, Humanoids, and more. The Global Comics app offers an easy and affordable way to access a rich catalog of all styles of comics from a diverse creator database. The platform itself also enables all kinds of stories to flourish by targeting an audience from around the globe where webcomic and indie creators can further their visibility. Enjoy the interview. All right, I'm here with SourcePoint Press, uh, as well as Global Comics. Introduce yourselves and uh, tell me a little bit about what uh, Global Comics is all about. Sure. Uh, I'm Christopher Carter. I'm the creator and founder of Global Comics. And um, what we've built is a platform for creators and publishers to mm-hmm. distrib- distribute books and stories to people worldwide. Um, and we're right now in the process of launching our flagship app, Um, for phones and tablet devices on iOS and Android. With me over here, I have uh, Eric Tapper. Hey there. Uh, My name is Eric Tapper. I am the head of business development. Chris and I have been working together for a bunch of years to make this thing possible. And, yeah, here I am. Awesome. So, under the Global Comics brand, what publishers are you working with and what titles can we expect at launch? 
that's a very very long list so it's, <laughs> it's kind of hard to, sure um, but you know as far as known publishers right like Image and Boom and Tokyo Pop and Sourcepoint Press and Archie and Valiant and Top Cow and like there's a very very long list of nice. folks that's going to be there um, in addition to you know a couple of thousand creators spanning across various different genres um, indie and web comics and all that stuff mixed into one place so um, also a special shout out to uh, the indie publishers as well particularly uh, at here I think we have T-Pub which is one of our original partners and I just want to make sure they get a special uh, mention we, sure. we met them three years ago at uh, C2E2 2020 and it was one of the first publishers that we talked with and we got home from the convention and then the entire country shut down yeah. so then we didn't get to speak with more publishers for a while right. so we became close friends very quickly yeah yes. <laughs> So how did how did Global Comics come about? Like, what was the inspiration for it, and what kind of uh, niche are you trying to fill as opposed to other online comic readers? So I'm originally from Europe. I'm from Norway. You don't really get access to comics internationally, mm. and it, even with places like Comicsology, the unlimited subscription was not worldwide. Yeah. And forget about actually having physical copies of stuff, right? right. Like small country Northern Europe. And there's, you know, billions of people that are not in the U.S. Right, right. And there's a lot of amazing stories. So we were like, okay, well, how do we actually just make these stories available to people, no matter where they are, um, in whatever language that they that they happen to be in? So that was kind of the starting point. Nice. And then, um, since this is international, how are you guys handling, like, translation for different countries? Is it something that the publishers are providing you, or is that a service you're additionally providing? So at this time, um, we ingest kind of whatever the publishers have to provide us. Mm -hmm. We have a partner that is doing some localization, right? So we we did a, a test launch with AWA Studios last year. So, I think yeah. it was? Yeah. Yeah. Where we translated um, and we brought Lesser Evils, the book, um, out in uh, seven different languages on day one. And that worked really well. And so that's something that we're looking to scale up with partners um, elsewhere, right? And really it kind of becomes a very interesting proposition because when you don't need to look at do I have a supply chain and a market to buy it in physical form right. in those places where it's just it's on the internet, mm -hmm. right? You kind of think about the unit economics a little bit differently and what does translations get you as a publisher right. is a much, much wider top-line reach, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if you were to use languages like, say, Spanish and French and German and Brazilian Portuguese, to name, right. you know, a, a couple of um, big comic countries. Mm -hmm. So, is the app available now, or if it's not, when is the launch? Soon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It, it, it is available for folks to test. Like you can test it here on our devices. Okay, great. The app itself is close to finished as far as build goes, but we're taking a little bit of time to you know properly button things up and polish it. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm sure you know like you can feel free after you you give it a test. Oh, yeah. uh, later on, write up your opinions. Right, like totally cool there. Absolutely. Um, sure, we clarify that. While the app is not live, uh, Global Comics is, has been available on browser to read and use. Okay, excellent. Uh, I know some yep. folks, um, you know, they're waiting for the app, but you can go on globalcomics.com, create a free account, um, and sign up instantly and start reading. Oh, uh, awesome. Just so you know, Chris is showing you what the app currently looks like on yeah. the screen. So this is laid out in vertical scroll mode. I can set it to double page. 
fantastic mm. on tablets, right? Oh, yeah. Excellent. What other conventions are you guys going to be at in the future for this year that you may know already that folks can check out Global Comics? I'll let you know right now. We right. are definitely <laughs> going to be in San Diego. All right, great. Um, and we're definitely going to be in New York Comic Con. Okay. And then Eric has a list. I yeah. think we're still deciding on some of the, the more regional, smaller ones. Sure. But I can let you know that there's, uh, we're, right now we're taking a look at a handful of the fan expos. Uh, there's a couple local shows in New York where I live, so it's easy for me to go out and, and, and go hang there. Yeah. Uh, definitely, like you said, San Diego, New York. Um, and then we're taking a look at some of the international festivals as well. Okay, great. Uh, we have um, our friends T-Pub over at the MCM London show that we'd love to go visit and mm-hmm. have some, uh, some fish and chips with, you know, cross the awesome. London, as they say. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll be publishing a more complete list in the near future that's, like, official, but okay, that's great. kind of the categories. Right. Awesome. Uh, any additional details that we may not have covered that you want folks to know about? That's a great question. Well, I think, you know, with the app coming out, it's important to know that uh, we offer an introductory rate usually to get started. We always want people to feel good about their first, you know, trying yeah. something like this. Um, we always try to, you know, make sure that our pricing is fair. And also, you can always give a gift card as well. So if you're looking for uh, to give one of your comic friends a special gift, that's something that you can do as well. You can give this a fair yeah, and, and from my side, I you know, I, I think um, if you are wondering what this app experience is going to be like, we're spending so much time in making it polished and delightful to read the stories themselves mm-hmm. that I guarantee you that the, the $1.99 is worth giving it a shot and getting sucked in. We've, you know, we've spent so much time on making this great mm-hmm. that um, I can't imagine situation where folks are coming in and, and not just getting completely absorbed into the stories themselves. Yeah, because that's really the focus, right? Like putting yeah. the story front and center and us taking the backstage so they can, you know, discover all the greatness. Excellent. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for your time and really looking forward for the app and definitely going to check out the, uh, the website as well. So Excellent. thank you. Thank right. you. Thank you. Next up, we're taking a break from the C2E2 coverage to feature Fayetteville Comic Con. Fayetteville Comic Con is featuring a Jason David Frank tribute this weekend to raise money for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. This takes place in a few days, April 22nd through the 23rd in Fayetteville, North Carolina. If you cannot make the show, there is also a digital pass available where you can view all of this panel in its entirety, as well as participate in raising money for the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. Hello, I am here with Chris Ace, fellow podcaster and Power Rangers fan, uh, to talk about Fayetteville Comic Con, which is coming up on April 22nd through the 23rd later this month at the Crown Complex Convention Center in Fayetteville, North Carolina. There is going to be a ton of Power Ranger guests coming together for a very special tribute. So, Chris, welcome to Ranger Command Power Hour. Thank you for having me, man. I've been listening for years and it's just insane to be on. But, you know, it's no better time to be on than for this to promote this Jason David Frank tribute event. It's absolutely I'm working with the con. And actually, for those who don't know, you know, I I was a fan and then I got I got involved in the convention scene. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I just Fayetteville is my home home uh, 
convention and they they've given me a lot of opportunity but the fact that they're doing this event now is absolutely insane and you know we have so many power ranger guests we have walter jones and barbara goodson the, the cool thing about that is though this is the weekend after once and always drops and oh we'll be doing gosh. a watch along with them plus a Q&A afterwards. That's incredible. It couldn't have been better timing. I think everything just lined up perfectly for it. Tell me more about this because you have guests like Walter Jones, Jenna Frank, obviously um, the daughter of Jason David Frank's going to be there. Jason Font, Hunter Dino, Kerrigan Mahan, Barbara Goodson, Sierra Hanna, uh, Serena Vincent, Kevin Duaney, Jeff Parazzo, Alan Palmer, Rory D. Travis, and a, even more than what I'm, I'm I'm naming here. So that's great. I mean, this is huge for uh, Fayetteville Comic Con because I don't think they've had as much Ranger guests as this, correct? Like, I, I've never been to the convention. So can you tell me a little bit more about the convention and then also the uh, Jason David Frank tribute? Yeah, of course. So, no, there has never been this many Rangers at a Fayetteville Comic Con. It's kind of like a, a low end PMC or a Ranger stop event at, yeah. at this point. Or, and, or, or even uh, comparable to LexCon, because I know uh, Lexington yeah. Con has a lot of Ranger guests typically as well. Yeah. Like you mentioned, all of those guests. We have a few voice actors Joshua Seth, who was in mm. Digimon, Tom Fan, and Dorothy Fan, who were also in Digimon, Ted Lewis. And so the, the thing about Fayetteville is. You know, th their biggest saying is if it's geek, we got it. But this year it's it's mainly Power Rangers and, and it is nice. for the Jason David Frank tribute event, which is going to be Saturday night from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Mm -hmm. The cool thing is we're bringing in rock star DJ Trey, who's going to be performing with Jenna Frank on a tribute piece to her dad. She'll be performing that Saturday night and also at the Fayetteville first ever Fayetteville comic concert on Friday night, April 21st. We have a lot of great bands for that, and they're also helping out with the Jason David Frank tribute event. Uh, Mia Sano is going to be there, who, if people know her from TikTok, she blew up because she did a Power Rangers cover um, with the uh, violin, and that got a lot oh, of wow. attention. Um, she actually has been donating her her revenue from that um, stream to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, which leads me into the Jason David Frank tribute event. It is a ticketed event mm -hmm. at $10, but the cool thing is all the money raised from this is going to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. We just want to give back as much as we can because Jason gave us so much. And I know his passing hit a lot of people hard. So if we're able to prevent another person from going that way, we want to do what we can. Absolutely. And I like that it's called Forever Green, a tribute to Jason David Frank. And we'll have uh, links to Fayetteville Comic Con's site on our show notes um, where you can get tickets as well as a link to the Jason David Frank tribute. And anything else you can tell us about this event? I know it says here that it's going to be a, a two-hour event on Saturday from 6 p.m. Uh, to 8 p.m. Eastern. Are there going to be some surprises? What are we looking forward to in, in this type of event? So all of the, all the Power Ranger guests are going to be there. They're going to be hanging out. It's going to be a tribute event where we're going to hear stories about Jason mm -hmm. from them, but we're also putting together a Jason David Frank documentary to show. It's just going to be an awesome event. There's so many different things. We're still finalizing things on the event, but for sure, it's so much that's going to be included in this two hours. And again, if, if you even think about going, like it's, it's, it's totally worth the $10 to get in. At a convention when you're spending all this money on like autographs and photos and like stuff you find at the convention floor, $10 really is a drop in the bucket. And 
Uh, I think it's really cool that it's all going to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, which uh, we'll also have links on our, our show notes for this episode. So do you know if this is kind of like a, a one-of-a-kind tribute, or do they plan to do this at another show, or is is this just exclusive to uh, Fayetteville? No, so I don't think there's, there's any plans to do this anywhere else. But also, if you want to watch the tribute, we have a $10 streaming pass um, oh. that you can pick up. Um, okay. But the, the, the thing is that $10 is going straight to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Right. So it's like you're there. Another thing, if you're if you're on the edge of going to this con, let, let me just say, the one-day pass is Saturday and Sunday, $25. Mm. The weekend pass is 43 The thing about Fayetteville is it's a military town, so we try to make things as affordable as possible. We, sure. we want people to come out and have a good time, but we don't want to overcharge. This convention is a fan-run convention for fans, and we want to do what we can for the community. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great guests, a lot of hype around the tribute and the once and always special. And then also the Legend of the White Dragon cast is going to be there, JDF's last um, mm-hmm. project. They will be showing, I believe, the either the first 10 minutes of the movie or just a trailer. I, I don't know if we've finalized what's going to be done there, okay. but that's another way to pay respect to him and push out Legend of the White Dragon, which looks incredible. I'm looking at this now. You can definitely buy. There is the streaming pass. So that is a great option for anyone who can attend. And again, like Chris said, all of the proceeds are going to the um, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So now that you told me that there's a streaming pass, I think I'm, I'm definitely going to do that because people are still processing even though you know it's 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 been almost half a year since he passed, I still think people are trying to get over that fact or try to move on. And I think uh, a tribute like this is a good way to memorialize uh, someone like him, especially with all of his fellow castmates and and people that knew him and worked closely with him. So uh, I definitely think if you can't make it physically to the convention that. Uh, the streaming pass is a good idea. And thank you so much for telling me that because until you told me, I, I didn't know about the streaming option. So I'm uh, definitely going to do that for sure. Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm glad you're you're going to pick it up. You know, it's it might be a little emotional. You might shed a tear, you know, as most people. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. I will be. At, I'll, be, I'll be at the event and I'm sure I'll be bawling like a baby. But it's good because that way we can pay tribute to, you know, a man who meant so much to so many of us. I mean, mm-hmm. I got a tattoo the week after he passed. And I mean, it's my, my favorite tattoo. I, the first tattoo I ever got was the Green Ranger Power Coin. So... It was. It just came full circle. It's just. Uh, it, it's still hard to believe, but if we can give back in any way possible, that's what we're trying to do. Absolutely. Well, uh, for more information, you can go to the convention site at FayettevilleComicCon.com, and then uh, specifically for this event, it's a slash hashtag forever dash green. It's right on the homepage for Fayetteville Comic Con. So, Chris, anything else you want to say to Ranger Nation? I just really want to encourage people to come out for the first ever Fayetteville Comic Concert because not only will Mia Asano be there, but September morning, DJ Trey with uh, Jenna Frank, uh, Premises, who is, I believe, a rapper. He's going to be there. He does. He was friends with JDF, Echo Stone and Fear State and Taking Back Saturdays. It's just a cheap event that, you know, is helping to pay respect to JDF. And also there's a um, karaoke event that's going to be taking place at night. So if you're looking to do something Friday night, I encourage you to come out and just hang out before the uh, convention itself. 
Well, thank you, Chris, for uh, being on Ranger Command today. And like I said, to everyone listening, we'll have links to everything that we mentioned in our show notes. And until next time, thank you. Thank you. Speaking of JDF, our next convention coverage highlight for C2E2 is the Jason David Frank tribute panel, which was run by fans to celebrate the life of Jason David Frank and his contributions to the community. You know, we, we pitched this uh, panel because we knew, uh, you know, how important Jason David Frank and Kevin Conroy were to the local Comic-Con community. Uh, they've been here at C2E2 plenty of times in the past, and you know, obviously it was really sad when we heard that they passed away just a few months ago. So we figured, you know, that would be a good time to kind of like, you know, pay our respects to them and give you guys the chance also to, you know, share your memories too. We'll have some time at the end of the show to let you guys uh, you know, share your favorite Jason and Kevin memories or experiences with them here at the con or whatever you feel like. Um, but to start off, we'll, we'll kind of, you know, start our, uh, you know, discussion for the panel. Uh, my name's Corey. Uh, I'm with, I'm a writer for Don't Feed the Gamers, uh, and uh, I work with uh, Marte Productions on various video productions. Uh, and these friends of mine, uh, they, they were all really big fans of uh, Jason and Kevin, and, uh, you know, we figured we'd... Uh, you know, lead the discussion today and, uh, you know, share uh, how much those two guys meant to us. And uh, I'll let these guys introduce themselves uh, and go down the road. So starting with Dan. Hello. Hello. Okay, it's working. Yeah. Um, yeah, my name is Dan Lemon. So you can follow me on Instagram on uh, DanLemon88. My pronouns are um, E. I've been a cosplayer for almost 10 years now. So um, I'm, I'm here for you guys. So I look forward to this panel. Okay, just checking to make sure. All right. Uh, my name is Andrew Mann. Uh, my Instagram is uh, wildcard underscore APM. Uh, you might recognize me from uh, Too Sweet Cosplay. We also are uh, part of a wrestling cosplay group, so you might have uh, saw us down in uh, Cosplay Central. Uh, huge Rangers fan all my life, been a uh, Power Rangers fan for like all pretty much my whole life there, cosplaying for about 10 years. Uh, pronoun T. And uh, yeah, looking forward to just talking about Jason Frank and Kevin Conroy. Hi everyone, my name is Andrew as well, but you know for the rest of the day you guys can call me Mr. Feeney, you know, fellow 90s fan. That's right, Feeney Paul, yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right, thank you everyone. Uh, so you know, my pronouns are he and him, my Instagram, Twitter, uh, Rex and Cosplay, whatever. Um, Power Rangers, Batman, we're all here for that. We are, that's what we're here for. And uh, we'll talk more about it soon. Hey, how you doing? My name is Don. You can find me on Instagram at Chicago Shaggy. Um, <laughs> Shopping, I know. Um, I, I've been cosplaying for about 14 years. I helped Andy here with a Too Sweet Cosplay. Um, been helping him for about three or four years now, and it's really been kicking off, so make sure you check us out. Um, Jason David Frank was a huge part of my life uh, ever since I was about five years old, and just the way I saw like what happened, it just blew my mind. And I, like Corey said, I'm glad we were able to come up here and kind of pay tribute to him and Kevin and, you know, the, the light that he shined on all of our lives. So. Check, check. Good. Hello, I'm Nick O'Brien and I'm from Ben. Vengeance Cosplayer. In <laughs> <laughs> cosplaying since 10 years, I have been affiliated with Batman the Animated Series since I was a five year old. Like all of you, that man, Kevin Conroy, has meant a lot, to, a lot to Batman fans all around the world. 
as well as Jason David Frank, who has meant a lot to a lot of Power Rangers fans around the world. And I'd like to pay tribute to two great men that meant a lot to everyone. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm Corey. Uh, my Instagram is uh, coffee or die. Uh, I pronouns he, him. And uh, all right, let's get started. Uh, just really quick, right off the bat, before we, you know, uh, you know, talk about these guys, uh, we wanted to do just a quick, you know, content warning. Uh, you know, just given the, you know, the, you know, the nature of what uh, happened to Jason and Kevin uh, last year, and also we wanted to like share some things that were important to them, to their lives, to their lived experiences, and we wanted to like share that stuff. Maybe you didn't even know about uh, Jason and Kevin. So, but you know, before we get to that, just quick, you know, you know, there will be brief and not at all detailed mentions of you know suicide, mental illness. Homophobia, childhood, childhood abuse, and things of that nature. So, just to you know, give you guys a fair warning. Um, you know, we're, I've heard the term. You know, uh, you know, obviously we all know the term like safe space, but we're going to try to make this as brief a space as possible. You know, we might slip up, but we're going to do our best to you know make this as uh, as comfortable a space for all of you guys. So, uh, figured we'll start off with just reading. You know, the everyone's obituary, starting with Jason. So. Jason David Frank was an actor who starred in the Green, as the Green Ranger in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. He was cast as Tommy Oliver, the Green Ranger, who was originally a villain, but then joined forces with the other Power Rangers. In season two, he became the White Ranger, the team leader. One of the most popular Power Rangers characters, Frank remained with the cast after the show's original three-season run, playing Tommy in later Power Rangers series, including Power Rangers Zeo and Power Rangers Turbo. His character became the Red Zeo Ranger, Red Turbo Ranger, and finally the Black Dino Ranger. A martial artist, Frank created... Dino so Thunder, dude. Dino Thunder. Oh. Alright, man. Sorry to break down. Sorry. Dino Thunder. <laughs> Sorry, my man. Uh, it's sloppy handwriting notes. Uh, a martial artist, Frank created Toso Kundo, a hybrid of karate and other martial arts. And in 2009, he began competing in mixed martial arts, and he fought in a number of bouts. So, uh, yeah, so I'm gonna like, give these guys a chance to share their favorite memories of Jason um, or favorite stories they've heard of him. Um, I'm trying to think of what, uh, oh, one of my favorite stories is, so Jason obviously had been here to C2E2 a lot. He'd been to, uh, sorry to plug another con, but they're, they're dead anyway, but Wizard World, uh, RAP. But he would go there a lot. That's, that's fine. We'll dance in their graves. Uh, no, uh, no, uh, uh, you know, I, I had a friend who worked at, you know, so by Rosemont Convention Center, there's a lot of restaurants over by there, and I had a friend who worked for the, the Hawker House, again, they're gone too, but, uh, uh, but, uh, she, she worked there as a server, and, uh, I remember she, she shared a story of how, um, you know, it was late, late at, like, I think, like, a Friday night, that weekend of the convention, and out of nowhere, uh, Jason David Frank comes in, uh, and, you know, to, to eat and stuff, but, like, he spent, like, hours after that, like, hanging out with the, the, the server staff and all that. They were kind of cleared out for the night, and she just said, you know, like, they have a lot of fanfare at that restaurant where they're, you know, like, all the, all the, all the German festivities kind of stuff. They have, like, a live band and stuff. I think he even got on, like, the stage with the band and, like, sang a song with them, so. But, I, from what I, you know, she said, you know, he was just the nicest guy, like, you know, talked to all the server staff and, you know, took photos with them and all that. Just, from what I heard, just a really great experience with how he, you know, treated people there at the, around the convention center, so. Uh, Danny, do you want to go next? Any any favorite stories of Jason? Um, yeah, we're gonna go a little um, little tragic story. Well, not really tragic, but I was going through a really bad time losing my mom, and um, them, them two years of losing her, it was just the worst. And um, I discovered conventions and cosplay in 2013, and then um, 
I, I didn't know they had uh, Power Rangers on Netflix. They had like all seasons on there. I'm like, okay, let me catch up my childhood. And then, you know, there's um, Jason and Frank, you know, Tommy. Like, yeah, I remember watching him as a kid. And then I realized, you know, oh, he's going to Wizard World. Like, okay, you know, doing cons, you know, that I was like really broke. So I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to see this guy. And um, he had like a meet and greet. He paid like $75 you know, just to meet the guy. I'm like, I had to scrap around $75. But I, I made it though. And it's, um, it was funny because uh, he had a meet and greet for Saturday and Sunday, and then this was like my first con experience. So that Saturday, I didn't know what time to get to the convention. So by the time I got to the meet and greet, it was like too late. And um, I'm like, oh wow, I was like heartbroken. And then I was trying to get a refund. And they said, oh, he's got a meet and greet on Sunday. And I'm like, okay, I can make it to that. And then um, I made it. And it, 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 the, the odds were that I met this guy that very same day, you know, we were like sitting next to each other. We didn't even know who we, who each other were at the time. And then um, Jason and Frank, man, he just interacted with the uh, fans for that meet and greet for seventy-five dollars. It was like amazing, you know. And then um, yeah, so I met him once. I met him twice. I met him three times. And then I tried to meet him the fourth time. Give my Green Ranger Funko sign at uh, Galaxy Con. Um, Ohio, but unfortunately, um, the news uh, passed away. So, the greatest memory is like the guy, you know, I made great friends on the way because of this guy. So, he basically, he was there for me when my mom died, you know what I mean? It's like he gave me hope to move on. So, that's the peace, David. It's a different person. Do you want to go next? Yeah, um, yeah, I was going to say that, um, you know, it wasn't because, it was because of uh, Jason David Frank. I met this guy here, too. Um, we had, actually, you see? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Zio right there. Um, but, uh, you know, we actually even had the opportunity to go to Power Morphicon in uh, Pasadena, California this year. I don't know if any of you guys have been there, but it's probably the greatest Power Rangers convention, like, ever. So, I would highly recommend going. Truth, by the way, as an independent viewer, yes, that yes. is. Yes. Anything Rangers there, name it, they got it there. And, uh, you know, we were we kind of made a pact here, too, saying that, hey, we're going to go to Morphicon one of these days. And we did it. We were just like, you know what, what the hell, let's just do it here. So, and it was probably the uh, best experience that I've had from a convention standpoint. And the fact that we actually did see Jason Frank still there at the time. He was still promoting his uh, new project, Legend of the White Dragon. Um, you know, it was crazy because we just saw him, it was just a few months ago, it feels like, though. It was like, it was this huge line. I just remember seeing him, like, that is always huge. It was like crazy. I think there were some people who said they were waiting five hours just to wait to meet him which is, like, absurd. Um, but, I mean, he actually took the time to actually talk to his fans and actually interact with them. And I think that's something of a testament to his character because of, you know, who he was as a person. Because he actually genuinely cared about all of his fans and, you know, just what he portrayed on TV, you know, as Tommy. Um, you know, and for me personally, I mean, he's always been kind of an idol for myself because I personally practice martial arts myself. And I told him that, you know, I practiced Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. He thought that was really cool. We were talking to MMA the last time I actually met him. And, um, you know, we were just bouncing ideas off of each other. And, you know, I think he, the last thing he said to me, and the last time I actually saw him in person, was keep training hard, just keep doing what you're doing because it's going to be tough. 
but you just gotta just keep pushing through. And honestly, it, that's the motivation that just kept me going and kept me training because, uh, you know, because the martial arts, I mean, you, know, you gotta get used to getting hit. It's, uh, it's not fun when you get punched in the face, so, but, uh, yeah, or kick, yeah, yeah, that too, that too, so. But, uh, you know, for the most part, I just think about the conversation I had with Jason Frank, and um, honestly, it's just that, that motivation that just kept me going, you know? You just need that little spark, and you provided that, you know? And I think just because of power rangers, I think I just wouldn't be involved in martial arts. I would have met this guy, I would have met these guys here, you know? So it's definitely has changed my life in a sense there. Thanks, Andy. Uh, yeah, so um, I can tell you all about my experience, but something that Dan and Andy here mentioned earlier. I don't know if you guys have been to C2E2 before, Fan Expo, Wizard World, other conventions across the country. His line was always long. I don't know if you guys noticed that last year, two years ago, every single time in the autograph area back there. And, he, and it was like that when I first met him at Anime Central 2008. 2008 to 2021, his lines were still long. Even after all these years, it's crazy. And I can say a lot more, man, but I'm gonna give more to these guys. But just so you guys know, you guys weren't alone when you got when he was gone. So. Yeah, um, my favorite experience with Jason David Frank was honestly the last time I saw him um, was during the summer. It was actually the weekend of Basin 2022, and. Um, I couldn't make ASIN because my brother was getting married um, that next weekend, so I didn't want to take a chance of getting COVID or something and passing on to a family member or something. So it was still looked like pretty like soon after the pandemic and, and all that stuff was reopening. And, like, yeah, and Jason was out there like doing supporting like indie comic book shops and yeah. stores and stuff like that. And you know, it's only masked and being safe and all that, but still trying to help like the little little stores out. Yeah. Uh, Ranger Protection Services is what he called it, I believe. I, I don't know if you guys remember that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ranger Protection Program, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, but yeah, he was doing a, um, a signing at my buddy's comic book store in Carroll Stream, and um, I got to go see him with my girlfriend at the time and a friend of ours, and the thing he told me, because everybody would take off their mask to... Um, get a photo with him, but he asked me why I have a mask on. I was like, well, my brother's getting married next weekend, so I don't really want to take a chance on anything done personally. He's like, I truly respect that. Good for sticking to your guns. I could not be more happier for you that you are making that kind of commitment and that kind of dedication to helping your brother in especially, essentially the biggest part of his life is getting married to his now wife. So, um, just the way he, like, interacted with his fans, because I remember he... Like Andy here said, he started the whole indie comic signing thing in a very dark time in all of our lives. And I believe that was 2020 or the start of 2021. Yeah, because um, yeah, we went and saw him at that same comic book store. I think all of us did. Um, and he took the time to sign for everybody, like answer any questions, like say anything you wanted to say to anybody. It was like truly a shining light in a very dark time, and I seriously can't thank him enough for that. So, Nick, you got any stories? You good? Um, that one of my favorite stories. Let me ask everyone here first. How many of you um, start doing karate after you watch your very first episode of Power Rangers? <laughs> see them. Let's see them. I honestly did after watching the official fan club karate video that he did. <laughs> if anybody remembers that. <laughs> yeah, it's 
Oh, Nick, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt to answer your question. Dude, my parents made me do a Taekwondo because, you know, we're Korean. You gotta do the Korean one. You can't do the Japanese. But that is true. Yes, Nick, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Go ahead, man. Let's be honest. We're all kids on the playground going, It's Morphin time! Yeah, one of my parents' experiences was I actually did martial arts and I watched it. I'm like, you know what? That's what I want to do in life. I want to do martial arts. And when I got older, to the age of 10, I started going up to Muay Thai, and I started training and training until my bones start cracking, and how does that really hurt? <laughs> but one of the best experiences was that at a local combo store where I live in the suburban area, he came to visit at a combo store, and I'm like, Jason, I have tried to meet you so many times at conventions here in Chicago, here in C2E2, at Rosemont, everywhere, but the line was so busy at the time, and I had um, to take care of my girlfriend and make sure that her and her kid were safe. So when he, I got a chance to meet him at the comic store, he's like, dude, for waiting so long, I'm impressed that you managed to wait. Hold it up. I'm like, dude, for you, I would have made an attorney to get an autograph from one of my heroes who inspired me to go for martial arts. So talking to him all about martial arts and waiting, that was one of the best experiences of my life. Oh, thanks, man. Jason, we talked a lot, you know, obviously he was very public about, you know, his love for martial arts, and, you know, he also, I know he talked a good amount of, you know, deal about the mental health issues he, he dealt with, and I know for him, martial arts was a big way of kind of, uh, you know, like coping with those things and helping, you know, to like, you know, like, I'll give him like a space to like work these things out and, uh, you know, also obviously get exercise, which is obviously great for, uh, you know, and, you know, your mental health in general. Um, I know for like a lot of these guys, you know, a lot of these guys are in the martial arts and stuff. Uh, 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 you know, it's helped us a, a lot with all the, you know, the different things we've had uh, going on in our lives. I know for me, I've taken, uh, I took karate when I was younger, and it was a great, like, sort of physical outlet for me to kind of work out through the stuff that, you know, like I was going through as a kid. Uh, a couple of years ago, I started taking Aikido, which is like a more, like, it's like a pacifist kind of uh, form of martial arts, trying to not hurt your enemy and do as minimal damage to them as possible, but still kind of like, you know, disarm them, basically. And they were very big advocates for, you know, making sure you, you know, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, focus on your body, focus on your breath, focus on your mindfulness of the, you know, situation around you, and those have been scientifically proven to be great things for, for mental health and, and dealing with that sort of stuff. I don't know, Andy, do you want to maybe say something about that kind of experience? Well, I mean, you know, for... For the most part, Muay Thai is kind of the opposite. You're basically wanting to hurt your opponent. So, yeah, yeah. So it's all about, uh, basically, it's like Thai kickboxing. And uh, it's basically, you know, it's a lot of you know, traditional American-style kickboxing, but it's involving elbows and knees. I'll tell you this from personal experience, getting hit with an elbow sucks. So, yeah, it's going to it's gonna hurt big time. Um, so, but honestly, though, I think I train because of mental health aspect too, because I feel like, you know, or it doesn't even have to be like just martial arts in general, just like exercise, just like whatever, whatever it is that you want to do, like whether it's just go to the gym, just go for a run, do yoga, whatever it is, so it doesn't really matter, because I mean, I feel like that with whatever it is that you want to do, then you just want to have fun with it, and you want to feel good about it too, so I mean, essentially, I feel like that, uh, you know, if there's anything that you do to kind of help with that, uh, you know, anxiety or depression or anything like that there too. I feel like that just any kind of physical activity is going to help people in the long run. For sure. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, another way, uh, another uh, thing that uh, 
Asin uh, often used to, again, kind of express the things that he was going through and, and uh, you know, outside of martial arts was, uh, he was really big into poetry and he uh, often would, you know, write poems and uh, share them online and stuff. And he actually made a couple uh, couple short films that would be, like, that would take the poems that he uh, he wrote and then just kind of just put them in the framework of a, a short film to, you know, express them visually. Um, I'm going to play one of the, a clip from one that he made. Um, I forget what the title of this one was. It's on his YouTube. What is it? But thank you. And uh, so this one you can see, he's kind of in a, you know, almost sort of like a, you know, support group kind of setting. And all of those guys in the hoodies are all supposed to be him, but different aspects of him. So, you know, it's revealed that, you know, one of them is, you know, anxiety, one of them is depression, one of them is narcissism, and that sort of thing. So uh, I'll play a clip of that from this, and it kind of, you know, allowed him to, you know, sort of put out there what was going on, and, you know, within. All right, I'll be firm, be stern, but it's my respect you're gonna earn. So you shut up. Now it's my turn. Let's start with you, baby. Get in there. Inside of me. I don't know where I got it from. Maybe the family tree. I'm gonna try real hard to let you know. Can't be controlled, just like you wanted.
Uh, one of my favorite, some of my favorite organizations are the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and uh, they have a Chicago chapter, and they have uh, a lot of support groups throughout the week that uh, meet both online and in person uh, through for a lot of days of, out of the week, and uh, I've heard really good things about them. Uh, I think they're worth checking out. Uh, I have a lot of friends that I've done stuff with through the, uh, the DBSA, it's the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. Um, they uh, they meet, there's a Thursday night group and then uh, the uh, Saturday uh, group that's focused on uh, LGBTQ plus people and uh, they're really good people that they have working there. And so if you're looking for something more local with a lot of options, I think that one's a good one too. Um, one of my favorite uh, YouTube channels uh, I've seen uh, lately has been uh, Cinema Therapy. These guys are really great. They're a, um, they're a filmmaker and a uh, therapist, and they're best friends in real life. And they, uh, on their channel, they kind of just take different movies and kind of uh, react to them from a you know, therapy kind of mindset. Uh, they've covered everything from like Encanto to uh, like a lot of the MCU characters. Uh, they do really good stuff on that channel, and I cannot recommend it enough. Um, uh, Georgia Dow is another great one. She does a lot of good sort of pop culture reaction videos. She's a therapist, and she did a really good series on The Last of Us, which had just uh, wrapped up the, the past season. So I think that would be a, a really good one to check out. Uh, as for other organizations, also, there's if you're looking to get into therapy yourself, BetterHelp is pretty good. I've used them before. They're the, kind of the famous uh, teletherapy app. Uh, there's that promo code there in case you want to check it out. And then Take This is, uh, they're an organization that deals with uh, comic conventions and they, in the past they've tried to like make like, what they call like AFK rooms or like a, or away from keyboard and just kind of give people like a place to like, if the you know convention scene is getting too like overstimulating for you or you just need a place to kind of rest and find some quiet, they've been really good about doing that kind of stuff. And uh, you know they have like a Discord and, and that sort of thing. And I think if you're if you're used to being in the convention scene and uh, you know you hate those kind of waits in between conventions, I think they'd be a great place for you guys to check out. So uh, thanks. Next up in our coverage is a roundtable interview for Kevin Eastman, the legendary co-creator of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Welcome to C2E2. <laughs> Been back to Chicago in a long time. It's great to be here. So when's the last time you were at C2E2? Never. <laughs> no, you know, it's, a, um, it's been a while since I've been to Chicago, and it's been, you know, we've done shows all around the kind of Midwest, I'm in uh, Michigan, some in Indiana, uh, here, there. But, um, but yeah, it's nice to be back, because it's, uh, you know, we do, our schedules arranged, grand schedules arranged, um, you know, by invitation, so my wife organizes everything on that end is uh, different people invite us and we put them on the calendar we try to get in 10 to 12 shows a year and uh, glad this one came up and it worked out so nice to be back here so many many years ago not to age you but uh, many many years ago when you initially conceptualized the turtles mm -hmm. I'm curious which one you kind of put together first and got their personality and their weapon the um uh, the one we put together first was uh, Michelangelo before it was named Michelangelo. That was the first uh, um, turtle drawn, turtle standing upright mask on nunchuck strapped to his arms. That's one spite Pete to do a drawing, change some things, and then I did a pencil drawing of four, all with different weapons, and had this comic logo that said Ninja Turtles. <clears throat> and when Pete inked it in, he had a Teenage Mutant, um, and that's where we arrived at the four characters. And then that was... Uh, November of 84 and then we uh, no sorry November of 83 
And then we started working on a series through um, the rest of 83 into 84. You're aging um, yourself now. Oh, I'm, I'm 60. You know, Turtles are going to be 40 years old next year. So I'm, you know, age is just a number. So what we'll do is, um, you asked another question, we'll just keep going around. Yeah, so I was going to ask my last one. I don't worry. Um, my last one, just to kind of clarify on some of the uh, myth that, the, that there's a connection to Daredevil mm -hmm. and uh, that you guys had created obviously splinter based a stick yep. there's the foot client and the hand mm -hmm. how did that come about that was my idea and that um when i grew up i was a huge huge fan of daredevil and uh of you know as kind of comic characters i really gravitated towards were the more you know, grounded ones if you will so it was like batman daredevil captain america and stuff and daredevil in particular was was one of my all-time favorites so um with the daredevil origin when they set up how Young Matt Murdock saved a young uh, saved a person was walking a blind person walking into a street as a truck carrying nuclear waste was barreling through the streets of New York as they often do. Um, and the truck put on its brakes. The canister came loose and struck him near the eyes. Um, and they never said the what's that drifted to the sewer. Well, they, yeah, they never said in the Daredevil origin. They never said what happened to the canister afterwards. So I just had it continue bouncing down the street, and <laughs> this poor young man was standing next to a. Uh, open sewer cover holding a glass terrarium with four turtles in it. All right. Canister hits that, smashes. <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time to answer those questions. My pleasure. It's great to be here with you all. So we'll yeah, continue around. Everybody hit a few questions, and then we'll, we'll do as many as we can until they throw us out. Okay, so I've been loving Last Ronin. Thank you. And you've introduced, like in the Last Ronin 2, you've introduced the new turtles. Is there, like after this series is done, you can try to keep going with them or anything? Yeah, no, that's a great question it was it was something that we didn't intend to initially based on the original idea that Pete and I wrote for Last Ronin in 1987 and when Tom and I adapted it and expanded it and what became the, the graphic novel that came out last year the series and the, and the graphic novel that came out we as we started getting into issue one we fell in love with the Ronin verse we call it you know rather quickly and so we had this idea of um, continuing to have adventures in you know every character has a multiverse these days in fact even you know, it's been existed long before the Turtles and back in the day we had Turtles black and white comics as one universe. We had the animated series as another universe, the cartoons and the movies, which are almost a separate universe. And so as part of the multiverse of the Turtles, um, we wanted to keep going <coughs> and tell stories in that um, in that area. And so we came up with this idea to create more Turtles for new Turtles, two males, two females. Um, and right now we just finished writing um, what will be called re-evolution when it comes out, but it'll be Last Ronin Part 2. Um, so it'll come out later this year. Awesome. So, yeah, super fun. Thanks. Yeah, so right now we're doing, you know, Lost Years, which yeah. is, and Lost Years was the, uh, it's a really fun series that covers, in within that Roniverse, the period where Michelangelo goes to Japan in issue four, finds out what happened to Splinter and Donatello, just starts walking, and it's a 16-year journey, which brings them back to the last, uh, to the last run on issue one. And so that's the Lost Years. So that's the sort of the prequel part of Lost Years. And the sequel part of Lost Years is because uh, each issue takes place three years apart. So we're seeing the new Turtles at age three in issue one, age six in issue two, age nine. And so by the time we get to issue five, they'll be 15 years old. And that'll take us right into Last Run two. That's exciting. <laughs> it's very exciting. We're having a really, really good time. And that's um, um, the greatest part I like about working with the team I have, Tom Waltz in particular, is um, all 
story first, and we really we took about six months, seven months, just to make sure we sort the story we liked for that one. So, hope you like it. Oh, I'm, I'm loving it so far. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, all right. So, are there any characters that you may have fleshed out a bit over the years but never got to use? And if so, can you tell us a little bit about them? There's the lesser-known Picasso turtle, kind of the deranged cousin that we never. No, there's. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go. Um, no, what was what was really fun about the early development of the turtles is one of the first licenses we did before any any cartoons or any toys was we did the role-playing game, which was in 1985. Um, and the coolest part about the role-playing game is we needed to develop all kinds of characters. Um, um, for you know uh, the gameplay, so there was all kinds of different mutants, everything from Bebop and Rocksteady in the earliest stages to a lot of other characters that, um, and then populated the the ongoing Turtle series as well as some of the cartoon shows and things like that. And there were a couple in there that I really liked that we never got to explore. And I think the main one was um, mainly because we thought we'd get our butt sued off was uh, in the first role playing game we had um, cast of characters called the Terror Bears, which is basically. <laughs> The, the, the Care Bears, but with little horror images on there. Yeah, so um, we never pursued that one, but then I thought that would be a, that'd be a fun one. So, it's still in the game. I know it's. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yes, sir. First off, nine-year-old me wants to thank you for your creation. Yeah. I mean, seriously, it meant the world. It was the last toy that I got into as a child. So it went from Transformers to Turtles, and that was it. So my parents... They don't want to thank you because I, they had to buy every toy for me. <laughs> so, they're still a little bit upset with you. C2E2, I'm talking with my friends, and of course, turtles come up in the hotel room as we're having a few beers. Mm -hmm. We're talking about like the new Rogan movie coming out. And mm -hmm. We're like, you know, we're excited for it. But we're like, man, you know, that's for the kids. Like, what about us adults? <laughs> so we're like, yeah, is there any plans for like a t like the last Ronin? either live action or animated, mm -hmm. you know, or like and Netflix, you know, like I would love to see this adapted. Like it's a great story. And I know like if the story's good enough, it's going to sell the books too. Sure. I mean, you look at what's happened with the boys and it's just like that's the whole series, yeah. You know, James Gunn can mention any movie that he's making <laughs> and then all of a sudden they sell out of the trade paperback. So, I mean, I think that it would be fantastic to see it live action or animated. Thank you. No. It's funny, the, and, I, and it comes up a lot, especially the, a lot of the fans that come through my line uh, are around your age that you know, grew up on the Turtles, so I make sure to say thank you. I say thank you, and then if your parents are still with us, thank them, because back in the early days of doing signings, there would be the um, you know, eight or nine-year-old you and a very disgruntled parent behind there going, you know how much money I spent on those stupid Ninja Turtles, um, or spent a Christmas Eve trying to put together the sewer playset. Keep that, <laughs> keep that blimp inflated. And Charlotte stepped on Leonardo's sword on the way to the restroom. I in the middle of it. Um, but no, so thank them, please, and thank you. And uh, it was just interesting that just last Friday they announced that uh, last run in video game. They've really been working on and developing full on console game. Uh, probably, yeah. So they they've been talking about. Um, they really fell in love with last run in. And again, embracing the, the 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 multiverse of turtles. Like Seth Rogen's been working for almost three years now on his younger version of the turtles, which looks really funny, by the way. Uh, I've not seen much of it, and I'm excited to sit in the theater and see it <coughs> uh, for the first time. But uh, it looks great. But they um, didn't want to, as they sort of put everything into that concept, um, they didn't want to confuse it and start something with Last Ronin too, because it's 
pretty edgy. So I think they felt the best way to uh, to move forward with it was as a game and, and embrace the fan base that way. So we're gonna keep our fingers crossed. Though. <laughs> Hopefully, it'll still. <laughs> I get Robert Rodriguez or somebody to do it. But thank you. Sorry. <laughs> so we do a lot of comics, but we also do more movies than comics. So our audience is nuts. Yes. So with the upcoming movie, which audience would be more or would enjoyable? Would it be the comic audience or the movie world audience? It's, it's, I'm glad you brought it because it is very specific. Um, and even um, uh, my son, our son, uh, Shane, is a huge fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but has never read any of the comics. And our house is, as you can imagine, filled to the floor to ceiling in every room with comics and graphic novels. And, you know, Dad, Thanos this and Thanos that. And I go... You want to reach the original Jim Stalin? But I think it's um, what I found in, 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 in this time is uh, this kind of concept. It's a little of both in that you have some fans that um, uh, have only seen the movies um, and, and, and we'll, we'll see it for that. But it is the original fan base and it's a very precious fan base because um, if there's a misstep too far to the left or right, like the Michael Bay movies weren't quite what they my opinion, what they could have been or should have been, um, they didn't embrace enough of the concept of what made the turtles what we liked about the turtles and what you liked about the turtles. You know, they were un, you know they're Peter Parker and you know mutations and uh, and so I think that it's going to be a, a little bit of both because they want to protect their childhood, they want to enjoy it, they want to be entertained, and so I think that um, with with this one they will, but it'll be a foot in both you know in both worlds. So. Yeah, good question. Thanks. Uh, yes, so you talked a little bit about the new four turtles that are coming up in the lost years that we're, we're seeing come up. Um, the original four are so iconic at this point. Yes. Like, did you feel any pressure as you were like, we're gonna we're gonna replace them with this new generation, um, or or like, just how did you go about developing those characters? I'm still sweating. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a very um, it was a very delicate thing, and 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 it had to approach it very carefully in that. You don't want to force it, and that's and that, that was one of the things. Like you know, I liked I mentioned Tom Waltz, and Tom and I wrote um, and worked on a hundred issues of the Turtles um, at IDW from two thousand eleven to twenty one, and then still involved in that and all things in the Turtles comic universe. And then we teamed up on um, on Last Ronin, and you know, just the concept of approaching how to kill your original characters, um, and we killed in the flashbacks of how they 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 um, we needed their situations resolved in Last Ronin. Um, all of them to make it to, to have the world um, continue on. So in, in thinking about the turtles, it was, you know, you immediately go to Planet Stupid, which is like, oh, we'll name them after famous scientists or famous rock stars or something, or there'll be this, you know, and, and that's when you start crossing all that stuff off the list early. And we talk about it a lot and we let the story naturally evolve of what kind of personalities they would be. Um, we decided to make them different species of turtles so they would have stronger and more succinct personalities. We wanted two male, two female, um, um, and their attributes would be more, um, and their, and their isms, um, cause it's still set in 2055 ish. Um, uh, so the kinds of things that they're going to be used to and acclimated to in, in, in not stereotypical form of a personality, but those still personalities will be strong. Um, things like the names, uh, when we arrived at the names, it was, it was something that, um, again, we talked about for months and you couldn't force it. And what I loved is that, um, Casey Marie, the daughter of, um, Casey Jones and, and April, 
is uh, been given Splinter's journal. She's training the turtles um, to be ninjas and, and all things. Um, uh, and she ends up naming them. And it wasn't just made up names like, oh, Bob or Susan. Um, she wanted to be special and embrace each of them. And so each of the turtles' name is um, number one in a different language. So Odin um, is um, Ukrainian slash Russian for number one. Uno uh, Moja is Swahili, uh, I think, for number one. That's South African. Um, Yi is Chinese for number one. So she basically tells them, you're all number one in my heart. So she names them all number one. So that was months of thinking. And we feel, you know, you get goosebumps. And you go, okay, we have it. Because it's justified and it works and it makes sense. And, and, it, and it works as a story. And that's, and that's what we'll build off. Because we're figuring out the personalities and figuring them out as we as we move forward so yes thank you so the last few years there seems to have been an increase in the desire for nostalgia the nostalgia of youth the nostalgia of what was and it is part and parcel because of the pandemic that we were all indoors and so yep. we were going back to the things that we loved that made our childhood sparkle candy was better toys were better cartoons were amazing was the timing of the release of Last Ronin purposeful, or did it just happen to be this is the way the pendulum fell? And what are your thoughts on that renewed interest in the nostalgia, especially with fresh audiences finding the turtles with the comics and the movie coming up and the game? Yeah, no, great question. And it is, and it was the timing was just honestly just complete happenstance. It was just an accident that we. It was when we Peter and I did the original. Um, 20 page, 25 page outline of the concept of um, became uh, Last Run, and it was done in 1987 and it was set in 30 years in the future. And when Tom and I were, um, and so we, and the reason we came up with that concept was we had just finished issue 11 and it was wrapping up a big story arc. And so we like, okay, where do we go from here? And so we said, well, let's set a, a story that's 30 years in the future kind of be a lighthouse to navigate towards um, the final turtle story. Um, but then we never got to it. Um, that year is when the, 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 the toys started developing, the animated series started developing, and just got pushed aside, pushed aside, and was never addressed. And so as Tom and I were heading towards issue 100, um, we arrived at the same situation. Well, we're at issue 100. We've wrapped up a 100-issue storyline. <clears throat> Where do we go from here? And that's when I dusted it out. And it was already 2018, so it was a year past the original... <laughs> When the original story was was set, um, and that's what we then uh, adapted it. So um, the timing was just naturally we just evolved as it as it evolved. Um, but the national nostalgia thing is is very curious because I do think it um, is in part um, because of some of the pandemic. I think we were shut in. We were reading old books or comics or watching old movies, or you know just very concerned about what the future is going to be. And you know remember the happiest times in the past to get us through some of these difficult times. Um, but I've been lucky in that um, um, a lot of the shows that my wife and I do all over the world, um, and we're so grateful to be able to do that, is that most of the people in our line are the original eight, nine, ten-year-old young people that enjoyed them initially. And we've had everything from um, bringing up dog-eared, chewed-up toys that they have you sign, which is the coolest thing ever, to beat up comic books that the staples aren't even barely holding together. And what's even more mind-blowing is when they come up with their kids um, uh, who have discovered the turtles, because I always say you can't tell a child what's cool and what's not. And the fact that the kids have found something in the turtles that they, they love and embrace is, like, mind-blowing. It's pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. So it's 40 years next year, and I'm still doing it. It's crazy. Thank you. Yes. 
When doing crossover episode, well, series such as like the one with Batman, Power Rangers and stuff, like how much input do you actually have? And also, what crossover would you like to do that hasn't been done yet? Great question. And, uh, um, and, and some of it's um, more and some of it's less. And for example, the, um, when Tom and I worked on the Ghostbuster turtle crossover, we, we were more involved in that. It was a huge Ghostbuster fan. It was really fun. Um, with the Batman series, I'd actually pitched DC. I have a um, childhood. Um, oh, somebody's at my door. Um, that's too funny. Um, with the uh, with the Batman Turtle crossover, I'd actually pitched another idea to them. I like this character, DC. Jack Kirby character named Commandy, and they said, "Well, nobody knows what Commandy is. Why don't you do Turtles Batman?" And we like didn't know that was on the table, you know. Um, and they brought in uh, the most incredible James Tinian, uh, who wrote it, and he's such a fantastic writer. I don't That's know if he was something is killing the children, and he's just mind blowing. He just did a fantastic series, and my good friend Freddie Williams was the artist that brought up the series, and they did such a great job. It was you know they did three series, but that was um, one of the big fan moments for me to. I got to do the variant covers, and I very—I didn't have any input on it. it was you know, it's James. Any, I was like, you know, he—he's you got it, bro. And uh, um, uh, and when I was doing the, the the cover with Turtles and Batman on the same cover, and I'm thinking they're not even going to print this. This is not really going <laughs> to. So, um, but it was what a joy. And so um, to answer your last question is, uh, Daredevil Turtles would be. To be ultimate crossover. Um, with Venus making her comic book appearance last year, why yeah. was that important at that time? It was, you know, it's it's something that um, when I worked on the um, original live action series that introduced the original Venus back in '97, um, it was an idea that started as a um, uh, adding a fifth turtle named Kirby in a fourth live action New Line movie um, that then was not that was dropped, and then we started developing. Uh, a new TV series, and it was still this fifth turtle that was sort of washed further down the sewer and that stuff, and <clears throat> um, uh, developed that. And then at the last minute, Margaret Lesh, who was head of programming, decided to change it to, she wanted to change it to a uh, uh, female turtle, which, you know, huge Ripley, Sarah Connor, you know, I love strong female characters. And uh, so it was like, yeah, that'd be great. Peter wasn't as keen on it. So he sort of stepped away, and I worked on that series. Um, it wasn't uh, a huge hit with the fans, um, but I really liked the series. Um, when Tom and I got into the um, comic book series, around the time we got to issue 50, one of the ideas that we kept coming back to is we wanted to add a, a female turtle to the mix. So when we introduced Jenica in issue 51, um, she then became, not intentionally at first, but then became a catalyst in, in, in the character that we were able to evolve into becoming um, uh, Jenica as the, in issue 95. And then Sophie Campbell, who's just a wonderful writer and an important part of the turtle history, um, she always loved Venus, and so she wanted to bring it back in this way that was important to um, um, the storyline uh, as almost like a Sally from... Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas sort of creation by this this kind of maniacal doctor, and so uh, it was a neat, interesting version. And she's going to be coming back you know, in a bunch. So, but I, I'm really thrilled that she found the right story to bring that character back in the way she did. Thanks. Awesome. Thank. Yes, sir. Uh, 
Hello, neighbor. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, we, we both got a we both got a pizza delivered at the same time. So. Um, first of all, uh, again, thank you for. I don't know a life. I'll be forty next year, also, so I don't yep. know a life without Ninja Turtles. So, <laughs> so this is actually really dope for me. Thank uh, you. Two questions. Uh, first question is: um, You talked about the video games. Uh, I want to know who made this game and why did they make it so hard. Uh, <laughs> it was one of those things that I've, I've never, to this day, I've never beat it. And, uh, and, uh, and it, but it was in the early day when this first came out. Like people would. Would literally come up to us at Pete and I at a convention and go, you know, why did you make this game so hard? Um, and we're like, I can't even run my, you know, VCR. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, um, but no, it was it was kind of a, a strange thing, and and that was one of the first evolutions of that console, the PS One, that whole console system, where so much you couldn't save, you couldn't stop and save the game at any point. You had to start at the beginning every time, and it was like, uh, I was so grateful when they finally came out with the arcade game. Because then you could something I could play, but then you could also play with you know, three of your other friends, which was great. But um, they they kind of the evolution with like Turtles in Time and some of the other games that they came after was great. But man, that was a it was a pain in the ass. It was a pain. Yeah, it was, was a huge pain in the ass. But no, it's funny. They just last year they came out with um they call it the Cowabunga Collection, which is um, all the games and all the versions. And that was one of the things that the developers, when I talked to them, uh, they said that they made it. Uh, th this version is updated and it's got a save feature. So you can save that. That's really funny. Thanks. Thank you. So uh, not only am I a huge Ninja Turtles fan and have been since I was a kid, but also a huge Power Rangers fan and kind of pegging back off to the crossovers. Um, Power Rangers celebrating 30 years this year, Ninja Turtles celebrating 40, and uh, you did the cover for uh, the first Ninja Turtles Power Rangers crossover comic, and now you're doing all the variants for the second series with Freddie Williams. So um, how do you feel about that series and these two iconic, long-lasting long superhero franchises coming together like this? It's awesome. I really, really have been enjoying it. And we actually even, going back to that original live-action Venus series, um, one of the specials that we did during the, that live-action was we did a Turtles crossover live-action version, which was really fun. But no, it's, it's that nostalgia thing, as, as mentioned earlier, that it's, it's really wonderful. Those characters are, are iconic, um, and you know we battled for ratings many, many years, and, and it was hit that same tonality that our fans uh, love. And so the fact that you know you got guys like Dan Mora, who's here, just killing it with the artwork. I enjoy the series very much, not only just as a being a fan of both of them and seeing them together, but um, it amazes me that when these incredibly talented young people come up with a fresh idea and something that you, you know, just even think every idea has been explored and there's, there's no way that they can come up with something else. They come up with something else and it's even cooler than what they've done before. So it's, it's really been a, a treat for me in, in doing those. And plus getting to work with Freddie on those covers is, is, a, is a hoot. So, yeah, they're really cool. Thanks. Oh, that's right. Cause yeah, I'm signing at 11, right? Okay, thank you so much. Appreciate you. And I'm having a great time sitting with you guys. So we'll get into as many questions as we can, but thank you. Thanks. Um, yes, two quick questions. Do you have any uh, plans for future collaboration with Stan Sakai? I could work with Stan every day for the rest of my life. Um, he's not only the coolest guy in comics, the nicest guy in comics, and uh, we're doing <clears throat> the new series now, uh, the, the, the um, Where When story, which will be a five-issue series. I'm doing covers for him. And he wants to do another one, <clears throat> but um, Stan also, as you know, probably uh, for sure, is um, Turtles Issue 1 came out in May of 84, and the first appearance of Usagi was um, in uh, 
Critters number two in November of 84. Um, and I always love telling this story because that's how we first met Stan is we would go to conventions and they'd, they'd go, okay, funny animal guys, we've got a couple of tables next to the bathrooms. So you guys are over there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, they put everybody else there and then, you know, put us over in the corner next to like the flaming carrot guy and, you know, that's nothing. Um, but we, we had the, that's where we got to meet Stan and hang out. And, uh, and you know, Soggy was uh, very early on, we did crossovers and then we're lucky enough to bring him in. Um, to the Trolley universe, not only as a toy and cartoon, but also preserve. We wouldn't have done it any other way, um, like Dave Garcia's PandaCon and other ones, um, that they retained full ownership. They became part of our universe and had some success in that, but they retained their own. But yeah, Stan's, Stan's the great. So there's going to be more to come. To that. Excellent. So. Um, real quick, though, uh, sure. Daredevil uh, Turtle crossover, what would that look like? You know, I've, I've got an idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I'm no joke, and it's like I'm not going to tell you, um, unfortunately. But no, I, I literally have a story idea I wrote in 1988, and okay. um, um, and uh, um, and it's and it's something I want to do, and it makes sense, and it and it fits together, and uh, um, it's one of those things that Freddie and I, because uh, Freddie and I are really good friends, and it, it's it's funny I love Freddie because the first time I met him, he goes. We're going to be best friends because we're birthdays are on the same day, May 30th. Um, and as oddly enough, we turn out to be really good friends. Um, but so we've been talking about this idea of sort of dusting up and doing it. But it's, it's a matter of um, right now, um, we're still pretty surprised by the success of, um, and very grateful, as you can imagine, the success of Last Ronin and, and the development of, um, you know, we really want to keep to the, keep a focus on finishing Lost Years and, um, and then starting Last Ronin 2. And that's the, the focus. But that's, you know, I'm I'm having a blast, and I got my first Daredevil cover. Did you see that? Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. You, know, you know, forty years later, you know, yeah. at the stack of rejection letters, Marvel. It's like, don't give up your day job, Marvel. Um, but uh, <laughs> but now, I don't see. <laughs> We're gonna stay in the pizza parlor. Uh, um, but no, it's it's been great. So, um, thanks. Do we got a time for another one or two? Or yeah. Gonna do let's do this gentleman then you okay and then Hi, Justin, go. Uh, nice to see you. Thank you. Thank you very much. There was a series in the nineties called Legends of the Dark Knight Batman. It yep. was non-canonical. It was all these little vignettes and stories, not quite in else forms. Yeah. But what about the idea for something like that with IDW where they have bring in all these great artists, you know, people like Mike Hughes or, or Gavin Smith. I love Gavin Smith. Yeah. All these guys in there to do these these stories that are just small, self-contained, like yeah. Turtle Soup when that came out. Is that something that is at all on the table? That would be something I'd love. And, and it is something that, you know, because um, even, you know, for Peter in the early days, um, and it came out as a nice collection in uh, Ultimate Collection Volume 6 was all the short stories. Anytime we did a reprint of Turtles, we would include a new backup, which was some of the Mirage artists, Mike Dooney and Mark Bodie and, and, and uh, Ryan Brown and all those guys. Um, and I love the short story format because you could really you know, dip into an idea and have a blast and get out quickly. And, um, um, but I know that there has, we, we just finished an editorial session um, last week and talking about a number of things that we want to pursue on the publishing side, uh, and that was one that did come up because everybody's um, enjoyed the success of, as I have, um, you know, the, the black, white, and red or yeah. black, white, and blood series. And they were talking about doing a black, white, and green maybe or something with the turtles, but it's still, but that would be to me, I, I, I think that it's always fun to me to see 
what another artist writer sees in the characters and what they want kind of story that they want to tell that's inspiring and if it's really good i take credit for it and if it's not I <laughs> <laughs> can you can you take any credit for uh, the idea of the stranger things comic book that's coming up stranger things no it was that was that was just a crazy idea that they because playmates approached us about doing a turtle uh, package uh, like the cobra kai or the the um uh, Karate Kid crossover series, Cobra Kai crossover toy series, uh, Stranger Things came up because it kind of fell on the same, fell, uh, the early Stranger Things took place in 84 around that time. And so um, I've not seen any material on that, but I'm curious to see what it is. So I think one more, we got good. And then we might have to. Did you really buy a tank? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. I've always wondered. Yes. <laughs> did you drive it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, um, in short, it was, uh, uh, I was a big fan of a, I like a lot of the war comics and when I was growing up, uh, Sergeant Rock and Sergeant Fury and so many of these things. And there was one um, called uh, The Haunted Tank, which was uh, this tank crew that had a, a M15A Stuart light tank. And, one of the, and, and so one time I was in Hollywood working on something in this company that provides military vehicles for uh, movies. Um, um, I said, hey, you got a M15A Stuart light tank? And he goes, yep. And I go, you do? How much? He goes, uh, $35,000. And I'm like, I'll buy what? I had turtle money at those times. <laughs> Back in the day. And, uh, and so it was actually, it's, it was in, served in 1945 in World War II. And it was brought here and it was used in, uh, last used on camera in uh, the Red Dawn movie. The original Red Dawn movie. Go Wolverine. You know, the red, original Red Dawn movie. And then... Um, and yeah, you could drive. It had twin Cadillac uh, engines and it ran like a bulldozer. You know, you're breaking the treads. And you said, I had a place in Massachusetts. I used to drive it around, scare the neighbors. <laughs> uh, so I know you, I promise you, one last question. We'll do that and we'll wrap up. Okay. Okay, sure. So it was mentioned earlier about Venus Return. Big fan of Jenica. Thank you. Could we perhaps be seeing what team ups with them possibly in a book on their own sometime in the future? There's, there's definitely been a discussion uh, on, on doing that, and I think it's, um, um, it's just bandwidth. Um, not only we don't want to um, burden the creative people that are working on it, but also the fans. You know, you guys are, you know, we want to make sure that you know, the stuff we're delivering is these comics aren't cheap these days. And, you know, and it's, um, so it's, it's just sort of managing it that, you know, make sure, one, the stories are good, and two, that, you know, it, it, it's on a fashion that, uh, you know, it still bothers me to a certain extent as, I think there's a few too many variant covers going on these days and you know especially for the you know there's people that just want the book for the book and then there's the collectors which we love them dearly and uh, just it's 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 a lot and then last yeah. we're all talking the scholarship and I grew up on, on Rangers and the Turtles as well have you thought about how it all ends? I am in no way advocating it <laughs> <laughs> Well, the final vision I have, and I was joking with somebody about this, it's like, um, is uh, on my gravestone, it's going to be, you say, like, Kawabanga, then there'll be, like, a, a hand reaching out with a Sharpie as, he's, as I'm signing my own gravestone. Oh, <laughs> 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 yeah, that'll be, I'll be at a convention, and I'll be like, thank you. <laughs> I've got to try to beat Stan Lee. You know, Stan Lee was still doing it, what, 90? Yes. Anyway. Um, but no, it's, it's, you know, it's a good question. That's a great one to end on because it's, uh, 
you have to go back to the concept that we never thought would sell the 3,000 copies we printed of issue one. The fact that 40 years later, next year, May of uh, uh, 2024, will be 40 years that we put that first issue out. And the fact that I'm here talking to you guys about turtles and talking about still new turtle ideas <sighs> is mind-blowing. It's pretty, it's quite humbling, to be honest. It's pretty awesome. It's childhood dream and I've, I've, I've drawn I was drawing comics last week before I came here and when I get home tomorrow night I've got two covers due <laughs> so I'll be back on the drawing board tomorrow night to me, ah thank you guys I appreciate you guys so. thank you next in our coverage is the across the massiverse panel featuring Lawrence Holmes Joe Clark Alex Siegel and Kyle Higgins talking about everything upcoming in the massiverse our second Chicago panel we've done about uh, the creator-owned superhero uh, universe that we run at Image Comics. Last year we had uh, a really big panel here. Uh, how many people were here last year when we did this? Oh, awesome. Some return, some return uh, uh, visitors. Um, how many people here have never heard of the Massiverse and actually meant to go to room 401? I ended up in 402. <laughs> So my name is Kyle Higgins. I am the creator of Radiant Black. Um, I also kind of creative direct uh, all the other books that we have in the Masterverse. As I said uh, a second ago, it is a creator-owned superhero line at Image Comics. Um, it kicked off in February of 2021 with Radiant Black, um, series that I created with Marcelo Costa. Uh, it, I like to describe it as Power Rangers with adult problems. <laughs> From there, we also have Rogue Son that uh, was created by Ryan Parrott and Abel. Um, it's very much a kind of a supernatural Batman Beyond with like a shitty dead dad that's haunting uh, his, his suit. Um, we also have The Dead Lucky from Melissa Flores and French Carlo Magno. Uh, Melissa was the exec on Power Rangers for Saban and Hasbro when I was writing a series, and then when Ryan was also writing a series. And this is a kind of, uh, it's, a, it's an LGBTQ, PTSD, cyberpunk, soldier coming home trying to find a war worth fighting in uh, series with some really cool, uh, not only electrical powers, but uh, pretty neat mechs that she, uh, she has by her side. Um, there's also Inferno Girl Red by Matt Groom and Erica Diroso, with colors by Igor Monti. This is a 120-page original graphic novel, a YA book, uh, about Cassia Costa in Apex City and the power of belief. Um, we've actually serialized this. It started as a Kickstarter, but the first three chapters have come out as um, periodicals. Uh, the entire graphic novel will be coming out in June. Uh, and then we have some spin-offs from Radiant Black, Radiant Red by Cherish Chen and David LaFuente, uh, Radiant Peak by Melissa Flores, Megan Camarina, and Emma Cuban. And then we have our newest series, No One, that is a 10-issue true crime superhero experience that I write with Brian Michelotto. We'll talk about all these in a little bit more detail in a second. And finally, we have the, the OG of the Massiverse, uh, if not retroactively, uh, called Cowell, and Cowell was co-created by this gentleman here, Alex Siegel, and myself, and Rod Reese. And it all started from a film that we made as my college thesis film in 2007 about the superhero rape unit in 1960 Chicago. So I thought we would take a second and uh, 
I'm going to introduce our panelists here, um, and I have stuff for each of them that we're going to talk about. Uh, I'll go through some exciting, <laughs> some exciting new announcements that are coming up, or uh, some things that we're doing that are uh, coming up. A lot of you've probably heard. Uh, we'll open it up for some questions, and then uh, we've got a nice little tag at the end here. So let's, what do you think? Should we kick this off? Yeah, let's do it. So first up is uh, Joe Clark. Let's give Joe a hand here. Hi, everyone. So Joe has joined the Masterverse um, with Radiant Black, and he has come on and co-written with me uh, several issues so far. Issues uh, 11, 16, and 17. Yeah, there we go. So far. Uh, 16 and 17 were our big rogues gallery team up issues with Shift and Sheer, Doppler, Sal, and Mecca. Uh, but coming up this summer in July, uh, Joe is going to be joining for uh, our big event called the Catalyst War, and we'll get to that in a second here. But Joe, why don't you touch on a little bit what your background is, what your day job, uh, I use the term day job loosely, but what, how do we know each other? Well, Kyle and I actually met in high school uh, in band, because we're both trumpeters. And while uh, Kyle has uh, all but quit the habit, which is a smart move, uh, I still do that. Uh, I'm a musician, I live in Chicago, and uh, yeah. Um, so uh, in addition to playing trumpet, I like to write music, I compose and arrange, and um, I also teach music. Uh, in fact, we just discovered we teach at the same university <laughs> in this room. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, that's the type of uh, stuff I do when we're not doing the funny books. Yeah, so Joe, Joe and I go back uh, a long time, and when we made The League, which became Cowell, um, Joe actually scored the whole film with uh, a, a live kind of a big band, sort of big band orchestral situation. Yeah, I pretty much saw who was sticking around over spring break and uh, <laughs> used them. So it's an original, it's a 30-minute original uh, bebop score for uh, film. And then when we made Cowl as the book, Joe actually did an original album called Cowl Sessions that exists in-universe with the book. So it's, uh, he's been involved. The fact that he's as good a comic book writer as he is is absolutely infuriating to me, just to <laughs> put that on the record. Um, and that actually brings me to one quick aside I do want to mention because it's on final order cutoff on Monday. Uh, so Joe and I have a new series that's launching. It's not part of the Massiverse, but it's called Deep Cuts. And this is a, um, a series in the world of uh, American music with an emphasis on jazz. Each issue is 48 pages long, uh, drawn by a different illustrator, all colored by the incredible Igor Monti, who is the colorist on Inferno Girl Red, as well as our upcoming Black Light issue on Radiant Black. Um, the first issue takes place in 1917 New Orleans, and we basically move through eras from there. So it's 1929, uh, Chicago to New York, 1940s Kansas City, 1950s Hard Bop, uh, era in New York with Ramon Perez drawing this entire issue, stunning. And then we moved to 1960s Los Angeles and uh, 1970s a World Tour. And so our artists line up Danilo Babe Ruth, uh, Helena Marseille, um, who, am I, who am I blanking? Uh, Diego Greco, Ramon Perez, uh, Judy Ba, 
and uh, Toby Cypress is, is joining. So this is going to be, and then all six covers actually create, I don't have them all here, but they create an interlocked tapestry, uh, all by Chris Brunner and Rico Renzi that carries you through basically 60 to 70 years of American music. And again, if you're a jazz fan, Chris Brunner is the grandson of Danny Baker, a great New Orleans musician. So it's a real honor to get to So next up we have Mr. Lawrence Holmes. joined me um, with issue 18 of Radiant Black to tell the origin story of Wendell George, uh, better known as Radiant Yellow, who resides in uh, Gary, Indiana, has a complicated relationship with his innovation um, going back 50 years, and um, also the idea of um, trying to change the world, and specifically the industry, and maybe there's a little bit of a be careful what you wish for involved as well. But Lawrence, uh, Lawrence, how do we know each other? So um, first of all, I'm honored to be here. I, just for the audio people, like I'm super loud because I'm a radio guy by trade. Uh, I do a sports radio show on the score every day from 10 until 2. And uh, thank you. And I oftentimes end up fighting the battle of explaining to sports fans who look down upon geek culture that they cosplay every week when they go over to Soldier Field wearing their Bears jerseys or their White Sox jerseys or Cubs jerseys. Uh, but Kyle and I, like, we bonded over talking about sports because he's a huge Bears fan. And if, if you're a Bears fan and Radiant Black won, there's a beautiful Easter egg about who the Bears should have drafted in 2017. It's, it's in one of the first panels, and you see Patrick Mahomes playing for the Bears. I, I mean, I will, not, I will neither confirm nor deny, but I will say that in our universe, um, Ryan Pace got it right. Right. So, so we bonded that way. We, we both know Lance Briggs, who's a former Bear and a big comic book guy, has worked with Kyle. And he was nice enough to, and I just got to tell you, for, for those of you who have never heard me talk about it on the air or in the podcast, Kyle, we were, it was three years ago, three years ago at C2E2, Kyle said to me, we were just like, he's like, hey, I'm in, the, I'm in the area, and I came down and met him, and he goes, I got an idea for you for a comic, and I was like, sure you do, sure you got an idea for me, and when he called and said, no, I'm serious. I have an idea for you. I couldn't believe it. So now, being a part of all of this, like seeing all of the creatives that are part of the massive verse and knowing that I was able to be a part of it is super cool. So I am someone who would come to this event all the time. I never, ever thought that I would be on a panel. So shout out to Kyle for making me a panelist and an author. One of the things that um, I love about doing this stuff and specifically being able to build out, I've built, I've built universes for other companies and with other characters that we all know and love, and that's incredibly rewarding. But building something of your own um, with collaborators that you both uh, trust and respect, but are also excited to see, try, make, take risks and do other things is the best part. I like to say that Making comics, 
making comics is is amazing, but making comics with my friends is my favorite part of the whole experience. And one of the things that you're going to hear a lot today, and probably if you've ever talked to me ever, uh, is that I, I very much have a passion for um, pushing the boundaries of narrative and storytelling, and specifically playing with form. But that also comes down to different voices that I like to collaborate with. One of the things that is kind of a recurring motif through every creator that works with us, um, not only in the Massiverse, but on some of the other projects I run through my company, Black Market Narrative, which is a creative collective, is that we all come from very different disciplines. But I love that because it allows, it makes it possible for us to take really, really kind of bold swings with what we're doing and how we're exploring story and building out, in this case, a universe. And so I say all that because with issue 18 of Radiant Black that um, Lawrence kindly joined for, we tried something very different. Um, for those, how many people have not read Radiant Black 18? Okay, cool. So in issue 18, um, the origin of Wendell George, the yellow radiant, uh, radiant yellow, I should say, um, the abilities of Radiant Yellow allow Wendell to place his consciousness into all the different branching points in his life. And he can perceive out, like basically any choice moment in his life, he can place consciousness there and perceive out both forwards and backwards, right? It's very much our sliding doors Radiant. So when it came time to tell the origin, we decided to play with the form and to tell his story across four eras of his life simultaneously all at once. Each era is separated by 18 years for issue 18. So this is what it looks like. And the thing about the issue is that we wrote it and designed it so it reads as a double, you know, page turn traditional comic. But we also have this version here that really hopefully uh, takes advantage of that conceit and that form that we published. You guys can take that down. <laughs> So this is 1984, 2002, 2020, and 2038. And if you flip it over here, see what the back half of the story looks like and how it's all being perceived by Wendell as he touches the radiant and it all snaps back down to one timeline in one era. So this was a very special version of issue 18 that we did. We made 250 copies of it. I actually do have a few left um, at my table uh, in tint. Uh, at the show here. I think we're like P18, something like that. Um, but yeah, so you can see, we, we like taking chances and working with different creators and different storytellers who come from different disciplines is a big part of my personal belief and desire to really push what comics, and specifically superhero comics, can be in 2023. All right, next up, we have Mr. Alex So like Joe, Alec is uh, probably one of my, uh, not only my oldest friends, but oldest uh, collaborators, and uh, that goes all the way back to high school. We, as I said before, we wrote a film together called The League that became uh, our book Cowl, uh, well, became the film first, and then uh, became uh, our book Cowl. We co-wrote together at Marvel for years, a little bit of DC on Back and Beyond, um, and then most recently, um, Alec joined the Massiverse for Radiant Black number uh, 15, where Radiant Black goes up against his greatest challenge yet, creative license. <laughs> How many people here have read, have seen the short film we did with Will Friedle as Radiant Black? 
Yeah? How many people have no idea what I'm talking about? <laughs> awesome. Okay. So in issue 15 of Radiant Black, um, an unauthorized YouTube film is being made, kind of like a, a you know a death battle type uh, short by uh, this channel called Versus, and they're pitting uh, in this this fictional battle uh, who would win in a fight between Radiant Black and Blaze from Cowl in the 1960s, which does exist in universe. And so uh, Marshall is very um, upset, shall we say that um, yeah, he loses because he gets a hold of the script early. And then he chills out when he realizes that they've cast Batman Beyond's Will Friedle to play him. Uh, it's basically Aaron Matthews with superpowers, which he thinks is dope. So he offers to help out and do all the visual effects in camera, but he has some thoughts on the ending. And so we actually made that short film. It's a five and a half minute fully animated short. We did it totally as a surprise. It's just a QR code and an ad in the book. And Will Friedle was nice enough to join us to voice Radiant Black. Uh, Reginald James, who played Blaze in 2007 for The League, and Rick Kramer, who played The Great Raven in 2007, they returned to voice the characters for the short. David Soloff from um, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy animated series. Uh, tons and tons of, of shows voiced our existential robot. And Batman Beyond's Emmy-winning composer Christopher Carter did an entirely original score for it. So Alec was not only wrote the issue with me, he edited the short, and he actually ran all of post-production on it. I was recovering from pretty brutal knee surgery, so um, Alec, was, Alec was, was steering the ship behind the scenes on that one. Yeah, that definitely falls into the, uh, the impossible category again, because if memory serves, we started the process, I think, February. February, yeah, so not too much earlier than now, last year, and then it came out in June, June and it was like, the work that goes into animation, like, just massive. You have to be so specific because they animate what you give them. So and it's like you're editing it kind of like times. You're writing it and then storyboarding it and then editing when you get the artwork and everything. So I thought it was great. I mean, it was cool to come back, write the issue, and then to bring back Kyle characters because, I mean, we love Kyle. Like you said, that's kind of where we started collaborating on the short film. Um, and then to see them come to life. And Alec has a pretty cool background. Um, we, the last book we really did together, we did Hadrian's Wallet image, a big murder mystery on a spaceship. Um, but since then, Alec has kind of found this whole other career path that will tee up this next thing we're going to talk about. Uh, but Alec, why don't you talk about what you primarily have been doing the last few years? Yeah, so I'm a video editor by day. So in college, I kind of self-taught how to, how to edit and then and then it's kind of bouncing back and forth between editing and then writing. And then um, after uh, Kyle came up, I ended up kind of going the, the video route full time. And I, for a while, worked for composer Barry McCreary, doing his kind of promotional material when he would record with an orchestra. Or with basically, basically, Ed, do you guys know who Barry McCreary is, the composer? Yeah. Currently, Lord of the Rings, Battlestar Galactica, Godzilla, God, uh, yes, God of War. So basically, every video you've seen Bear put out in the last several years, last five years, Alec probably either shot it and edited it, or edited the whole thing together. So Alec actually does all of our killer trailers, our amazing trailers in the Massiverse. Um, Alec puts all of those together for all the books. Which tees up uh, the current project we're working on, uh, which is no one. So Alec is actually um, the audio editor on the entire In-Universe podcast. 
Uh, and we just basically, we just approved uh, episode, the cut of episode two, uh, like two days ago, I wanna say. So that'll be out with issue two on April 19th, along with a reprint of issue one, because issue one sold out literally the first day of release, the morning. Okay, so with that, I actually do want to talk a little bit about um, some of the books, just to give everyone a heads up, and then we can kind of open it up for questions a little bit. Um, so first up, coming this July, we have Radiant Black number 25, which is the promise of the original solicit text when we first announced Radiant Black, which was that the machine empire that created these powers are going to want them back. Well, now they're here, and they very much want to take the Radiance back for themselves. This first promo image is actually an interlocking cover by Marcelo Costa. You can see the banner at the top for the Catalyst War. But I actually have a little video here um, that some of you may have seen. We announced this event at Comics Pro a few weeks ago in Pittsburgh, but I thought I'd play it for you right now and showcase a little bit of Alex's work. Hey everyone, my name is Kyle Higgins. I'm the co-creator and writer of Radiant Black, a millennial superhero series that helped kick off the massiverse at Image Comics. For the last two years, we've really taken it upon ourselves to push the boundaries on what we think a modern superhero story can be. We've done in-universe social media and merch boxes, original orchestral scores, existential blacklight issues, origin story told as a fold-out across four eras simultaneously. We even did a five-and-a-half-minute secret animated short film with Batman Beyond's Wilfred L. voicing Radiant Black. But this July, for our seminal 25th issue, we're taking our biggest swing yet. Catalyst is the machine empire with ties to the Radiance. But what is their larger role in the universe? What do the Radiance mean to them? And what does it mean for Nathan, Marshall, and Earth when Catalyst shows up to take back what is theirs? Nathan, Marshall, and the others will learn the truth about the radiance they've sent their lives to, clash with the cosmic gods, and be forced to make even tougher decisions for the lives of billions. Joining me on the six-month odyssey is my partner in all things radiant black, Marcelo Costa, as well as our series superstars, Joe Clark, Eduardo Ferragato, Raul Angelo, Becca Carey, and Michael Pesuto. Similar to another big event that I built in 2018, Power Rangers Shadow Credit, this is a story with massive stakes. Every character, every storytelling decision thus far, they've all been leading to the Catalyst War, and it kicks off this July with Radiant Black number 25. Join us as we push the boundaries once again, this time on what a superhero event can be. mediums. Um, Catalyst War is something that um, I've been planning since we first started Radiant Black. 
These first two years have all been building. I know people say that a lot. It's true. Everything in Radiant Black has been building to the Catalyst War. Um, but before we get there, we have issue 23 coming up that really kicks things off. And then we have issue 24. This is our return to existence issue. And it's uh, not only our Nathan and Marshall heading back into our existential black hole realm. This is another full black light comic book. So the entire book is colored by Ibramanti with fluorescent pantones. The entire book is full UV black light. Here are a few pages from, from it right now, as you can see. It's a little different than the last time we were there. Also want to talk about, um, in the Radiant Black World, Radiant Pink, which is our mini-series by, like, as I said up top, Melissa Flores, uh, Twitch, YouTube, host sensation Megan Camarena, and comic book royalty Emma Kubert, the third generation of Kubert artists. Um, this is just, an, it's a very different tone from Radiant Black. Um, well, I shouldn't say very different. It is a fun, cosmic adventure that is also really uh, a story of a very toxic relationship. Uh, and you can see here, even Kelly, this is actually the first time we're showing, this is the cover for the trade paperback that will be out later this year, it looks like in July. It's a new cover by Emma and Rebecca Nalti. Uh, it's there on the right. Next up we have Rogue Sun, which is, uh, Volume 1 is out now, Volume 2 is out in May 2023. Uh, we have something really fun here on the Volume 2 cover that no one has seen before. If, if you look carefully there, uh, that's a nice pull quote. Brash, bold, unapologetic, Rogue Sun is a spectacular series that tears up the rulebook for superhero stories. That's from Jonathan Nolan of The Dark Knight, Westworld, Memento. Uh, he knows a thing or two about uh, bad guys, and especially second volumes of storytelling, that superhero storytelling. Um, so I think it's very fitting that he uh, was kind enough to give us a quote for our cat, uh, our Hellbent arc of Rogue Sun. The Dead Lucky Volume 1 is out now, collecting the first arc of the series. Our second arc is going to start in, I believe it is, it's either June or July. Um, so that will be picking up with issue seven. The status quo for Bibi is quite a bit different. Um, but before that kicks off, uh, you will meet Bibi again in our upcoming Supermassive, which will be slides down here. Inferno Girl Red, as I said, this is in the OGN of this is coming out uh, this June. Um, and it is, I, I don't know what else I can say about this one. It's a stunning, stunning book. And it's, uh, it, was, it was a very complicated project to undertake and to make, especially at this kind of like very high, high bar level. Um, it's, you know, I could not be more proud of, of the world and the story that Matt, Eric, and Igor have built. And uh, I can't talk too much about what a book two could be or is. But um, you know, maybe we'll maybe we'll we'll be talking about that in not too distant future, hopefully. And we have no one, so this is the big one right now. Uh, a ten-issue true crime superhero experience. How many people have read No One Issue One? How many people is this the first time you're hearing about No One? Awesome. So No One actually um, started many years ago as uh, spiritually as a book that I was actually doing with Tim Sale. 
that was a, a Batman project that we were doing together. Um, it didn't happen for a variety of reasons. This is quite a bit different, but there's still a little bit of that DNA that started uh, with this project with Tim, um, which is why uh, we actually have, have dedicated the first issue of No One to, to the late Tim Sale, who was both uh, uh, you know, a, a huge inspiration and influence for me as an artist. Um, he's also uh, he's a very dear friend. So um, the entire book is actually told in his, I don't know if I've said this publicly, um, Tim uh, really, like later in his career, fell in love with um, a specific format in his storytelling. And he used to say that uh, when Darwin Cook showed him the new frontier, Tim said, are the kids in here? Uh, it was basically a version of Tim said, fuck. Because <laughs> it was perfect. And the three panel grid, three panel approach, shall we call it the, you know, it's kind of a nine panel grid, but it can be subdivided within each. Uh, that, that was Tim's favorite way to, to tell a comic. And so that's what we're doing the entire 10 issues of No One in. But the backdrop to No One is that there is an accountability killing movement that is taken off in Pittsburgh. It comes out of this digital activist named No One who doxes these four people, very corrupt people in Pittsburgh, of means. And um, nothing happens. And then a couple months later, they start getting killed. Four shots to the chest. And this has sparked kind of an ideological movement that's occurring here. No one has basically taken the physical form, trying to put a genie back in a bottle. Um, the reason that the story being told in real time is important, by real time I mean that each issue takes place in the week it comes out in, because we're also telling narrative across in-universe websites and social media accounts. And two of the reporters in the book are talked into starting a podcast by the new media division of their maybe failing paper. Not failing, but it's, you know, it's all newspapers are having a, having a little bit of a tough time here. Um, and so that podcast we're actually making every month with Rachel Lee Cook and Patton Oswalt, voicing um, the two reporters. Yuri Lowenthal from Ben 10 and Marvel Spider, the, the, the Insomniac Spider-Man video games is voicing uh, one of our main characters, uh, Tara Platt, who's actually the voice of Yuri in the Spider-Man games, uh, is joined. Uh, David Blue from Stargate, and what else? David's done a million things. Is that? Uh, <laughs> you find him on Twitch, I think. Yeah. <laughs> David Blue joining, and uh, the voice of no one himself is Lauren Lester, uh, famously of Batman the Animated Series is the voice of Dick Grayson, Robin, and Nightwing. So if you want to subscribe to the podcast, which is totally for free, by the way, um, you can find it right here. It's at our in-universe site. Um, I believe it's the-drop.info. You can scan that QR code right now. Episode 1 is up. You can also subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app platform of choice. Um, however, I would say, no matter where you listen to the podcast, you should absolutely dig through the show notes afterwards. Because um, not only are there all sorts of different Easter eggs, but I actually brought on uh, Peter Nikias, who is a, a formerly the Chicago Tribune and crime reporter in Chicago for many, many years. Peter joined us as a creative consultant, and we have all sorts of in-universe articles that are specific to this kind of accountability killing movement that's happening in the different victims. And um, again, it's, it's a very, hopefully, immersive uh, way of exploring a, a true crime superhero story. So that brings me to Supermassive. 
Uh, last year, we kicked off Rogue Sun and Inferno Girl Red, and honestly, the entire Massiverse through a 48-page oversized one-shot special called Supermassive. We had so much fun that we're doing it again. The thing about this universe that Michael and all the creators and myself are, are very proud of and, and, and adamant about is that you only need to read what you like. You do not have to read every book in this line. Um, Rogue Sun is its own thing, set in New Orleans. Radiant Black is its own thing, set in Chicago and Northwest Indiana. Uh, Inferno Girl Red is its own, is her own thing. Um, but once a year, we thought it'd be really cool, kind of in the tradition of something like a Sentai or Kamen Rider uh, movie or special, um, for the characters to meet. And so these one-shots are absolutely additive, but they're not required either. We, you know, again, I pride myself on threading that needle to make sure that the story is additive, but also not something that if you miss it, um, you feel like, you know, out of the loop on. So this next story, uh, this launches in, um, when is this out? This is in May, and it's, uh, it's actually reuniting uh, all of us with Daniele DiNicolo and Walter Bayamonte, who are the art team on Power Rangers Shattered Grid. So this story is a huge 48-page, uh, actually 50-page um, special as our characters take on quite a different task, which is the search for the Holy Grail. Here's a few preview pages. I don't think we've shown these yet, um, but these are by Daniele and Walter. And if there's one thing that I know about Walter is that he loves painting skies. This book has some of the most stunning skies you've ever seen in a comic book. <laughs> um, so there we go. All right. That pretty much wraps up my like info dump portion of all this. But again, the thing about the Massiverse that and all of this immersion that we talk about is that it really comes back to being rooted in this right here. The idea of building a community and building something that people I mean the fact that you're all here on Saturday morning at C2E2 is amazing. It's it's very humbling for me. Um, but it's also something that like we very much like to engage. So I uh, figured we'd open the floor up for questions, and I'm sure we'll end up going on tangents up here. But um, if you want to get in line at the microphone, we can, we can, we can talk about some stuff. What's going on? Uh, Andy. All right. Nice to meet you, Andy. Yeah. Bed next hmm. okay. um, So, issue 25, two covers. Now, I tend to stay out of the theories channeled in the Discord, mm -hmm. but... <laughs> Having them both in the costume leads me to want to think that maybe through their journey through existence, they both get to have the power now. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> wouldn't that be something? Um, I, can, I cannot talk about that, um, but I will say that um, so every cover of the Catalyst War, which is a six-issue event from issues 25 through 30 of Radiant Black, uh, are going to feature uh, a connected A and B cover by Marcella. Uh, I'll part two of that. Yeah. That was beautiful. Can it be sold as a poster? <laughs> oh, the, the, uh, the cover? Both are. Oh. Yeah, well, we may have, we may well, have some plans. What do you said? Something like that. They're all going to have A and B connected. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah, so we're not going to, our plan is actually for the event, we're actually not going to do variants on it. So it's just going to be an A cover, a B cover, open to order. And for me, like, if you're going to do an event, it's about scope and scale. And so I wanted to do cover, we wanted to do covers that convey that sense of scale. Um, and so, you know, it's, that's what we got. Yeah. Thanks. Of course. Good morning. Good morning. CJ in the name of comics, we met here in August last year. Good to see you again, CJ. Good to see you. Um, I'm already a big fan, basically, of everything you do. But you have excellent taste, clearly. <laughs> um, we got to get to it, though, man. When are we getting, or is there any development on Radiant Black, the animated series? I mean, come on. I mean, we need that. Do you guys want to see a Radiant Black animated yes. series? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Be cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, how, how about... How, I can give you, I can't talk about that, but I can, I can give you something else. Okay. So when we talk about doing a lot in different mediums, um, you know, it may not be a coincidence that someone like uh, Chicago's own Lawrence Holmes, uh, who has quite the extensive uh, experience in the audio space, um, you know, that might not be a coincidence that there's some stuff going on um, that at least involves some voices. Yeah, we, we just wanted to see the evolution of it. You know, as far as I'm concerned, you guys are like right on Incredibles heels and you have your own universe too. So, you know, I, I really just hope that you guys get there and that you do keep that creative control and, you know, Hollywood wakes up. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you. said this before, um, but that, that's the best thing about doing a creator-owned series and, and much less a universe at Image, is because when I say it's creator-owned, it's truly creator-owned. This isn't like a lot of other publishers that say they're creator-owned, but they're like creator-co-owned, really, at best. Or they actually own, or at least control the material and control option stuff wherever they want to the highest bidder. In this instance, you know, I... I I, my first love is directing and filmmaking, and what so much of this and why this has been so creatively fulfilling for me, and I, I would say for all of us, is that it is this, this ability to utilize different skill sets that maybe traditional industry or entertainment industry is not open to. You know, like pigeonholing is not necessarily a bad thing, um, but it is. It can be limiting. Um, I like to joke that the only difference between uh, a pigeonhole and a brand is if you're making enough money. Uh, but it's what I really mean is that a lot of times when you get, especially into like your 30s, your 40s, your 50s as a creator, whatever you, the one thing you do is that tends to be the track that people want to keep you on. And the cool thing about us owning and controlling all of this stuff is that we don't have to part with it. And we don't have to set it up anywhere unless it's a situation that we're comfortable with, and most importantly, a situation where we are in control. Hi, I'm Ben. Um, nice to meet you, Ben. Nice to meet you. Uh, I was wondering, because you're working with Image and they have a lot of famous characters, 
Because I know you want to keep this super separate. But would you ever want to get bringing back to me other famous image characters like Spawn and Spawn? That is such a great question. <laughs> Who would you like to see Radiant Black meet? I think he'd be fun meeting him in school because he'd come out of That's who I wanted to meet, too. <laughs> Gosh, that would be cool, wouldn't it? It's <laughs> a great question. <laughs> I'm not going to answer that question, but instead what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you our very rare copy of Radiant Black 18. Hold on, real quick, real quick. Who wants to see Radiant Black meet Savage Dragon? Yeah. Who wants to see Radiant Black meet Invincible? Radiant Black be spawned. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It does seem like a rogue sign kind of team, doesn't it? Okay, that is very useful information. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Nick. Hey, nice to meet you. And I've been a big fan of Radiant Black since it first came out. Big Legend is the number one issue. And since reading since then, I've kind of always been curious about how they got their powers. Or, I mean, how you gave them the powers. Like, when writing the script in the story, did you always know that Radiant Black was going to have gravity powers? Or was that standard from the beginning? Or you kind of toyed with that a little bit? And then, with pink, yellow, and red, did you kind of have to adjust their powers for the story? Or did you always have in your mind, like, okay, pink's going to have portals, and yellow's always going to have times, so that way you can adjust the story with that? Or how did that come to be? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, it was always, from very, very early on, I, I remember making that decision. Um, as you're, So when you're world building something, um, whether it's a small story or a big universe, um, I like to describe it as, uh, like, it, every decision you make is important because they're all foundational pillars that you're putting in place, right? I like to describe it as a little bit like a tumbler lock, where each decision you're making is a pin in the lock, right? And you need all those pins to line up right. You need to make the right decision on each one of those because otherwise the lock won't open. And maybe if one's off, maybe you can brute force it and you can kind of get it to work, but you're gonna break it. And you might not even realize that you've broken it or cut yourself off from more interesting avenues until you're many issues down the line. So fortunately, like building this stuff up out now at this point in my career, like I've, I've gone through that enough times, both at DC, on Nightwing, and Batman Beyond, and Batman Eternal, and the Power Rangers line. Um, and so with this one, I decided that rather than all the powers being the same, um, I wanted to really push myself to build each one to be a unique, um, you know, to have unique abilities. And they're all, if you look, they're all tied to traits from black holes. So gravity, matter absorption, uh, teleportation, and um, time, at least time perception. And so it was from very early on, like, I think that that's the way that gives us the most story engine within the concept. And then as I built out the mythology from there, it only further cemented that it was the right choice. And you'll see more of that coming up in Radio Black 25. We're going to get into 
a lot of the mythology, where these radians come from, who they're tied to, what catalyst is, why the Big Bad is named. Whoa. I can't do that one. <laughs> but yeah, it's a great question. I will thank you very much. I almost There's a lot. <laughs> how, do you, how do you feel about giant robots? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. We got a lot of giant robots. <laughs> a lot. Kind of like these powers. There's a lot. Um, you know, uh, there's also the other thing I'll, the other little nugget I'll, I'll throw out there. Do, do you all know who the character 001 is? Three black. Our glitchy guy with the slash through his helmet. Oh, ho, ho. yeah. <laughs> What if I told you that 001 isn't a name so much as it is a title? Damn. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I would say, I'll put it this way, from an ambition standpoint, I am very much trying to live up to things like Invincible War, um, Power Rangers Shattered Grid I did a few years ago, um, that as well from a scope and a scale standpoint. If you look at Shattered Grid, that might be a, a good hint at just kind of how big and, um, yeah, the, the size of what we're trying to do is. I got a third question. Hit me. Well, obviously, there was that animated skill with Radiant Black, but the animated uh, short with Radiant Black. Well, do you plan on doing a TV show or movie for Radiant Black? <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, okay, how many people would like to see, between the two, movie or TV show, uh, and let's say live action, for this hypothetical question, uh, Radiant Black live action movie, can we hear some applause? Woo! How about a Radiant Black live action TV show? Alright, yeah. Thank sure, you. We'll see, we'll see what we can do. And may the radiant protect you. That was oh, a Power thank Rangers you. show. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, my name is Noah. Hey, how are you? Hi. Um, I've been a real big fan of Radiant Black since it started, and I try to collect pretty much everything that's related to it. Um, and I've been trying to catch up on all your work, which I really, really like. To be honest. Thank you. Um, so my question is, and I'm sure so many of us have been wondering, you've consistently said since re uh, issue one that we don't know what this book is. By Catalyst work, will we finally know what this book is truly about? Yes. <laughs> yes, you will. Yes. Yes. I, I, but I would say you definitely don't want to wait until issue 25. You 100% should read issue 23, which is out in two weeks. And you absolutely do not want to miss, miss issue 24. Without spoiling anything, um, we, are, we are trying some things that no one has ever done in comics before, ever. And I'm not saying that to, like, overhype. Like, we are, we are doing some things. We just sent issue 24. I sent issue 24 to the printer yesterday in Blacklight, and we are committed. So, um, you will absolutely learn what this book is. Um, I've also said that slightly tongue-in-cheek over the years because the book, while everything has been building to Catalyst War, Catalyst War, we're also designing it very consciously to be a really great jumping-on point. Um, but everything that is built to this has been building to what we're doing in Catalyst War. And when you understand and see that, I think you'll understand why being so cagey. <laughs> Yeah, totally makes sense. Thank you very much. Of course. I, I just like to say, one of the things I really like being involved with this 
is because of what Kyle's been talking about. He's trying to reach people wherever you're at. If you're a page turner, if you're someone that likes to listen, if you want to watch, if you want to check a website, like everything, like he's trying to get every modality for the Radiant Black series. And I, I didn't realize that his brain kind of works like my brain. Like I'm, I'm usually doing it with sports, like trying to do everything like in a, in a creative way and have things go, oh, this leads to this, and this leads to this. The way that he'll go, oh, I have an idea. And then that idea sparks another idea. And that idea sparks another idea. And there's never really like a bad option or choice. He's always saying, let's try this. Let's try to reach, like the idea of, of no one and everything that goes into putting that together, how many different disciplines you need to be able to master to pull that off is really awesome. And so when he says that, that he's doing stuff that no one's ever done before, he's 100% right. And we appreciate that you all appreciate the effort that's being put in. So I think that's pretty much the time we have. Um, does anyone else have any any last questions or comments or anything before we, we wrap up here? You have one more? Sure. Okay. Um, just out of curiosity, when you started Masterverse, um, what were the systems, the non-negotiable systems that you had in place? That's a great question. That's a great question. So um, there were a few. On the creative side, I wanted to make sure that everyone's book uh, worked on its own. And no book was reliant on anyone else's book in any way. So autonomy would be? It's autonomy, but it's also from a, from a, just look at it from an intellectual property standpoint, right? If you look at the original origin of Spawn, um, the person that kills Al Simmons is, is, is Chapel, isn't it? Yeah. From Rob's, uh, it's from Youngblood, yeah. Chapel? Well, I don't know that actually Rob owns those characters anymore. And so now you have a foundational piece of your lore that as cool as that connection is, it, it makes it complicated for, you know what I mean? Like for it to truly be kind of its own thing. Now, so what we did is we said, okay, Everyone take, pick a different city, and that helps you to build out those foundations for each property, each book, so that they're completely reliant on themselves. They have to function and work on their own. It also makes it cooler when they do meet them, right. something like Supermassive. So that's the first thing. The second thing is connected to that, which is that everyone owns their own book. So Ryan and Abel own Rogue Sun, Melissa and French own The Dead Lucky, Matt and Erica own Infernal Girl Red, Marcelo and I own Radiant Black, and then everyone's royalties as well. So it's something that's extra important in that way because you want to make sure everyone is you know, set up in the best way possible to succeed. Um, and you just get the best out of creators when they, uh, when they own what they're creating. Anybody else, any last, last ones, last second ones? No? 
Okay, well, uh, it's been awesome. Thank you all again so much. Before we go, uh, I am in Artist Alley at P18. We have all sorts of, I brought a, I actually brought an extra suitcase full of like rare variants with me from uh, just stuff I've had uh, at, at the apartment. So I have all those down at my table. I probably won't be at my table for a few hours. I'm doing another panel uh, in a few minutes here uh, about writing a first issue, I believe. Um, so I don't know where that panel room is, but uh, <laughs> if you find it, uh, definitely please come by. Yeah. Um, these gentlemen, will you guys be around at all today? Awesome. So uh, my artist alley table is at P18. Actually, you know what? I can tell you right now what time I'm going to be there. Give me one second. Okay. Should have done this ahead of time, huh? Uh, okay, so I'm at, right now at 1230. Uh, comics writing, what makes a great first issue from 1230 to 130. That's in room S405A, so it's right up here. And then uh, from 3.45 to 4.45, I'm at the World's Finest Storytelling Panel at S403A. Uh, and then I'll be at my booth um, at 5 o'clock, uh, only for an hour, unfortunately. But um, that is, again, that's P18 in Artist Alley. But if you find any of these fine gentlemen on the show floor, I'm sure they would be happy to sign, uh, sign any books you might have. And, um, you know, if you can get information out of them, that's free, I mean, that's free. Anyway, thank you all for coming and have a great time. And finally, in our C2E2 coverage, we have the spotlight panel for Johnny Young Bosch, legendary anime voice actor, as well as Adam Park from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Zeo, and Turbo. Enjoy. Hi there. Things about coming to a convention for me 
is because, especially the voiceover stuff, I'm just in a booth most of the time by myself, just doing what I do, and then I don't know if anyone's gonna like it. The director just goes, all right, next line. You know, and there's no like, yeah, good job, that sounded great. It's usually just, all right, let's go to the next one. Um, so it's nice to come here because then I can see, oh, you guys saw that, or you liked it, you liked this game, you liked that. So it's for me, that's where the connection is, like, ah, we can connect on whatever various project that I worked on. You ever get, I'm wondering, like, friendly critique of your work where people are... Oh, I mean, occasionally, somebody has something that's not super nice to say. Haven't you answered my question? I usually am caught off guard, and because I'm just trying to be, you know, I, I've got to commit whatever time, even though it might be like a minute or two with each person, it's, it's very important for me to connect with you on whatever level, right? It's like, bleach, but then sometimes even like right now, it's like, you gotta go, you're gonna leave for the panel. I was like, well, I don't control that. You guys tell me where to go. Anyways, so I gotta commit all this time to you guys. So it's just important for me to do that. I forgot what the question was. <laughs> That's okay. We're just having a chat chat. Um, back in the, I wanted to, before I go into the voice work, um, I wanted to act, ask about uh, acting, just in general. Was it something that voice you... Voice work is also acting. Of course it is. But I wanted to ask if you, you know, when you first started, was this always what you wanted to do or did you fall into... No, I wanted to be a ninja. When I was, uh, uh, and, and I got to be one eventually, but uh, for pretend. Um, so yeah, at some point I, I I really more wanted to do action. So I was a martial artist. I still am. I wanted to do action on camera, and so that was really kind of more my passion. And then really kind of like late in the game on Power Rangers, I really started to realize that oh, this acting thing is like a an actual thing that I need to focus on. Um, and so that's when they got rid of us. And so I had to like, figure out if I could keep having a career in acting. And, you know, so yeah. I wanted to be, do you remember the 80s cartoon Gem? Yes. I wanted to be Gem when I was younger. <laughs> cool, some people remember that. I'm not entirely old. Great, that's good. Um, I wanted to ask about Power Rangers. Any Power Rangers fans? <laughs> would have been different, you know, if you'd had all of the trappings, not maybe they're not trappings, but the things that we have nowadays in terms of social media and pressure from that end, because back then there wasn't all that extra pressure. What was the question? Social media, do you think your time would have been slightly different as a young Oh person? yeah, it definitely would have been different for me. Um, probably would have been a lot more hate. You know, sadly. That's what a lot of people put out there. Um, even just the whole sub and dub thing, it's like, what's the point of being so hateful and mean? You know, just enjoy one or the other and let that be. But uh, some people can't be that way. Um, and so, it's, oh, uh, I wrote that myself. Um, but uh, yeah, I think so, because I was also replacing somebody else. And so I think at that time, you know, if there was social media, there probably would have been a bit of backlash. You know, there's always some kind of baggage when that kind of thing happens. Even if it wasn't anything I was really responsible for, 
there's definitely been people that, or at least one person I can think of, that hated me and everything that I did in my career because I replaced his favorite ranger. But it wasn't like I told him to get out of there, I'm coming in. No, it was like there was an audition. I didn't even know what I was auditioning for. I just knew it was Power Rangers. And then I didn't know until the actual callback in California where it said, like, new Black Ranger, new Red Ranger. And I was like, wait a second, what is this one? What about, like, what you learned from that time as a younger actor? Were there any lessons that you learned from that sort of Power Rangers year that you took with you into your later life? There's so much that I learned there. Um, I really just kind of, there's really a lot, but it's uh, just, for me more, it's just how the process of making a film, um, anytime actually that I do any kind of on-camera stuff, like I just did a film last August, and there's a lot of time that's wasted, you know? And, and sometimes you can't help it because it takes a long time to set up lights and cameras and all that sort of thing. But there's like hours of sitting around and it's like, well, you know, I'm getting paid to sit here when you don't need me, you know? Um, so there's a lot of that stuff. Like I see a lot of those things that can, in my opinion, can be fixed or adjusted. But uh, as far as anything else, like I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of things I've learned. But I feel like I've got so many friends, um, actors who do a lot of voice work as well. I guess the the best thing about doing it is you're a complete chameleon. You can be anything. You can do any role. And you mentioned the. Back in the day, there weren't a lot of half Asian roles yeah. for you, and I was wondering, as someone who's also half Asian, um, do you think that that has changed? Do you feel it? It's definitely changed now. Uh, there's a little more. It's it's kind of strange actually. So yeah, I after Power Rangers, I couldn't get a job because there were no half Asian roles, you know, and I didn't. I don't look enough Asian to get the Asian roles at that time, right? Um, so thankfully, I fell into voiceover where it didn't matter what I looked like. But now, there's a very big, like, it's it's more kind of specific. Anime is not so much. Anime is kind of still loose and they're, you're, you're okay. But there's, like, now, like, 90% of the auditions that get sent to me are, this character is Asian. And I'm like, oh, well, I want to audition for other characters, too. You know, not just the Asian guy that's, you know... Smart game or something, you know. So now I'm seeing a lot of that when it comes to the auditions, which is kind of like I don't know, it's a little bit of a bummer, you know. I thought we were kind of beyond that, and it's but now it's like, well, now we've got to put us into certain places now. Yeah, no, you mean it's kind of like um, I don't know if you agree with me, kind of like box ticking in a way, a little bit, yeah, a little bit, but it's still like I feel like it's changed a lot from when I was younger. It's definitely changed. I mean, now there's actually. And the other thing is also you can make your own project. You know, there's enough, like, you can go buy a decent camera, you know, you can shoot your own things, you can write. There's so much out there now that you can just kind of do it yourself. And there's a lot more independent projects that are a little more open as far as whatever the character's ethnicity is or whatnot, right? Uh, but any of the auditions that I did, like 90% is, this guy's Asian, and that's why we're sending it to you. And I'm like, well, I don't sound Asian. You know, it's like the character doesn't necessarily sound Asian. Um, so anyways, that's just interesting how it's kind of, it, it used to be, like, I don't know, it's just changing. It's shifting. It's shifting and not really sure where it's going to land yet. 
Yeah, I think the landscape's still kind of a bit in flux. It is, I think, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think people need to lighten up. Yeah, I think, I think we all just need to cheer up and have fun. I know. Would you, would you guys We're all in this together. Exactly. We're all on the same boat. You know? It's like, uh, let's not sink it. Exactly, no sinking of the boats. Um, I uh, wanted to ask, you mentioned, you know, people nowadays have loads of tools at their disposal, you know, cameras and all sorts of things. If you were younger now, starting off, do you think you would be up on YouTube, making a thing? What would you well, do? No, no. no. <laughs> so you wouldn't be a YouTuber? Nope. No? Twitch streamer? No, I mean, I just, uh, I'm an introvert. <laughs> you know, and, uh, I, uh, there's, okay, there's things like, uh, what is it, Cameo or whatever, and there's those other where, like, celebrities or whatever are on there, and you can, you know, pay them to do a video. I, I don't do those. Like, I can't do it. I, they, I keep getting asked to join things like that, but I'm like, ah, and I did it once, but pro my problem is I'm a bit of, of a perfectionist. You know, so if I do one video, then the next one I do, I have to top that one. Then the next one, and I did. I was a part of one. I it was a different name, and then I realized that my day would. I would only get like maybe five done in a day, and they're supposed to only be like thirty seconds to a minute long. But I would be big productions. I'd set up lights, and I'd have like because I just wanted it to be cool for whoever. You know, I wanted it to be like this is really special. But I, I just can't do that. And are you one of those people? I sort of do that if I'm asked to do something and do like a quick video. And delete like ten of them before I get uh, to Yeah, yeah. Well, I usually just, I just because I don't like it's not really scripted or it's like if it is scripted, it's super long and you have to kind of like sort of memorize it. So I don't know why I'm like this is just weird, but I, <laughs> I would just, just run the video and I'm just like all my takes are on there, and then I would just pick the best one. It's horrible. It's excruciating being a perfectionist. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But does that help you in your work in terms of the voice work and things? A little bit. There's a, there's a certain point where though. Like, I am a perfectionist, but there's a certain point when I'm like, okay, that's enough. I know. You know, you just like... <laughs> you kind of give up. You just you're like, your own whatever. That's just what I look like. That's just what I sound like. That's just this face. You know, it's whatever. So. I was doing something on Instagram yesterday just on the show, show floor. Literally, I think they thought I was crazy because I kept deleting them. And I do it again. I kept deleting them. But you're right. At one point, you just got to go for it. When you first started doing the voice stuff, what were the, the biggest lessons you were learning? Because it must have been, was it quite intimidating to stand in that booth, you know? Super intimidating. It's like a $3,000 microphone and preamps and, and they pick up everything, the smallest detail. And uh, one of the projects, Wolf's Red, I don't know if any of you have seen that, a couple of you. It's a really great anime. It's, it's an older one, it's a bit of a classic, great music. Um, it's one of my first things that I worked on. And uh, usually I would, I, I would eat breakfast and then show up. And I try to show up early because you don't get the script ahead of time. Anytime you work on any kind of like anime, even some of the games, a lot of times they're top secret also. But you just, you show up and it's a cold room. So you don't get them and get to memorize your lines and work out your scenes. No, you show up and you do it. Um, so it's, it's trickier than you might think. So anyways, my, my cheat was to show up early and go through the script. You know, because we used to have paper scripts then. Um, and so one day I was running late, and I skipped breakfast, but I showed up in time, you know, to be able to go through and kind of cheat, working on the So we're going through the process of our, our day of dubbing and whatnot, and going through it, and then all of a sudden my stomach, because I didn't eat, start to get that rumbling feeling, right? Like I'm like, oh no, it's gonna make a growling noise, you know? My stomach's gonna growl. And I'm in the booth, and you know what it's like when you're in school, and you're taking a quiz, and it's quiet. 
right? And you're like, oh crap, you, you start shuffling papers and kicking the table or whatever, you're trying to make some noise to cover it and hide it. And you can't do that in the booth, you know? And it's like, what do I do? What do I, and I had this water, so anytime I felt that sensation, I would just down some water and it, it worked. I was like, oh, this is, and so it worked for a while. Like every time I felt like it was gonna growl, I'd just take some water and it worked. But then one time, it didn't work. It just like, out of the, like it didn't even give me a warning. And it wasn't like a growling noise where I can be like, huh, oh, that's my stomach, that's embarrassing, no. Instead, it goes, <laughs> so, so it sounded like, yeah, I like try to let out a fart, you know, but my butt was like, whoop, nope. And so I was like, huh? And I saw the director and the engineer, they were like, <laughs> looking through the glass, and I was like, oh gosh, I'm never going to work in this town again. It's like this third thing I've worked on. And I was looking over there, and they're like, and it's like, I, I know it sounded like one, but that was my stomach. And they're like, sure, sure. I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, come on in, and you can so yeah, Wolf Street, they kind of farted in the booth. So anyways, yes, that, it's really scary to be in there, especially in the beginning, because I thought my career was over after that. Oh, no. I was like, no, you're done. <laughs> That's it. Never asked this question before, but please forgive me. Um, now people always ask, how did you get into voice acting and what are the things that you learned, but how do you not let out a fart? <laughs> I need your top tips for keeping all bodily functions under control because we're human beings and so no eating before that kind of thing. Well, that that helps, but your your stomach will grow. Right. You know, so if you're gonna eat, make it light. Okay. You know, um, I think I think you just have to excuse yourself. Can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> Thank you. Then they all know. Then no, they just think you're going to, unless it's like a lot. <laughs> it's like right after lunch and you had chili together. Then yeah, I think they're probably gonna be on to you. Guys, we're running up at 15 yeah. minutes late. Like, Sorry, I gotta. Really in the bathroom? He's <laughs> really enjoying himself in that bathroom. I mean, well, here's the thing. It's like if you fart in the booth, there's a good chance there's somebody else coming in after. So that's just it's not cool. And I and I'll tell you another story. Okay. I forgot the name of it. It was another series, uh, and I was playing the villain in it, but I, I showed up, and, and uh, I was going to go, I went right into the booth, right? And I saw the engineer, and he was working on the mic, setting it up, but as he saw me coming through the door, he ran, basically, past me, and bumped into me as he was going out. I was like, what the heck was that for? He's like, you don't have to go in there! Like, so as I walked in, it like, hit me in the face, just like, oh! all of it. And I was like, oh, but I do have to be in here! My session starting! So yeah, he just he farted in the booth. Oh my god. It's not cool, it's not cool. Love it, I hope you guys are learning a lot. <laughs> Sorry. Did you think this was going to be a mature panel? Did you think this was going to be professional? <laughs> it's my panel, so... Um, I, wanted, I did want to ask you about character adjustments and making small changes. Are you more confident to do that and work with the people around you and say, hey, I don't think my character would say that. I don't think they would do that. Are they okay with that? It depends. It depends on if it's a character that either I've done for a while um, or something that I did in the past, then usually they would lean into it and be like, oh, they're open to that. Sometimes. Um, 
yeah, in most cases, most cases, it's usually okay to say, hey, this doesn't feel right, or this doesn't sound right, or I'm not going to say that, uh, because this character would not say it that way. Um, and then you kind of just work with your director, or writer, or whoever, and so they, you know. Sometimes you don't have that call, though. Sometimes it's like, well, you're going to say this. As a creative person, as a storyteller, do you prefer to get stuck into the character and be able to actually make it your own? 100%. I would much rather just kind of be able to commit to it and to my understanding. I, although, that doesn't mean I'm not open to what the director thinks. Because the director or whoever else is doing it, they have a bigger picture, usually. You know, because again, I don't have the knowledge of what's coming next. You know, whereas the director or producers or writers, they already know those things. So you always have to ask questions and find out where you're going. But once you kind of lock in and you find something, usually with each character, you go like, oh, this guy really wants to protect his family and friends. He cares about that. That's, his, that's what motivates him in everything. And so then you find that. And so I can relate to that. And then this is the way I would play it. You, know? you mentioned the cold weeds earlier. The cold weeds. Um, I mean, now you're obviously used to them, but how as a performer do you kind of read something and understand maybe I, I intonate more in this word or that word? Does it become instinct? It does become instinct, but you also, you know, you'll have the, the whatever's happening in that scene. You'll have the other actor's lines or the other character's lines ahead of yours or after yours. And so you kind of, after you've kind of really glanced over, you've gotten to see it, so, and a lot of times they'll play it if it's an anime. So you can kind of see how the scene is played out and kind of figure out, all right, well, I'm thinking this is the way they're going to say it, so I'm going to respond this way. And then you just, you just give it your best shot, you know. And then again, that's where you really do kind of lean on your director, because your director will probably say, well, actually, we just changed, we're changing that line to this, and so now you have to say that. Um, now, I've got one last question, but there is a mic in the middle of the room, so if you have a question for Johnny, yes, everyone get up, please don't be shy, and if we, oh, whoa, whoa. Be shy, be shy. <laughs> dial down, let's, let's dial up the shy, dial up the shy, um, I love it. Now, if we don't get through all of you, Johnny is here today and tomorrow, and you can absolutely look at him. And, like, I'll be back at the table, yeah. Yeah, exactly, so we can totally, we can get that, so before we... Before we get to the final questions, Johnny, I just want one last question. As a creative, as an actor, where do you see yourself going next? Are there any things you want to launch yourself into that you've not done yet? There's not anything that I haven't done yet that is like that I need to do. But there are things where I've like adjusted, like when COVID happened, mm -hmm. I realized that I can't just be a voice actor. And so I had to like open up bit more, you know, like, well, I need to start making my own things. Um, because once that happened, it was like, well, guess what? You got nothing, you know? And so I was like, all right, well, I need to shift gears. And so, yeah, I've shifted over, and, you know, I've got my own production company, and we've been working on our own stuff, so. Good luck with that as well. Guys, round of applause for Johnny. Okay, lovely fan questions. Hello, my dear, what's your name and what's your question? Hi, uh, my name is Michael. Um, what I'm wondering is, so Power Rangers is kind of known for having a lot of practical effects. 
obviously there's special effects as well, though. So, you know, whether it be morphing or Zordon or what have you. When you're acting and you have to react to stuff that isn't there, it's going to be put in later, is that difficult or how does that work for you? I mean, well, I mean, did you play pretend when you were a kid? It's kind of the same thing, you know? Um, and I, I do the same thing with my seven-year-old boy. We run around with Nerf guns and shoot zombies and stuff. So it's it's just pretend, really, you know? Uh, but it's like, what what's the level of your pretending? Like, what is it? Is, are you believable? Are you supposed to be cartoony? Or supposed to be, you know, then you just kind of like find the levels that it needs to be, you know? Is it supposed to be realistic? Is it supposed to be way over the top? You know, then you just decide, it, it depends on what you're working on. You know, and then you adjust the levels to that. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's, it's a sad thing that we forget how to pretend as, as adults. It is. We you know? kind of grow up and then we get responsibilities. Bills and bread <laughs> and mortgage and stuff. And we can, kind of get a little more serious. But, uh, Hello, my dear. What's your name? What's your question? Name's Adam. Um, in terms of the voice acting standpoint, are there any bloopers that you've ever picked up throughout your career that more or less stand out to you? Bloopers? Bloopers. That stand out? That stand out to you. But, like, are hilarious. Something that kind of just... No, I mean, well, I try to avoid them. They happen sometimes, you know, but um, in fact, there was one studio that would call me Boring Johnny. <laughs> and, uh, but that's okay, because for me, it's like somebody's paying me to be there. And so I want to be professional and I want to get the job done and then be on my way to go to the next session somewhere else. And so. I get why they said they would say that because like other people will go in there, a lot of other people, and they, you know, they can joke and they can make whatever, be silly and, and, you know, riff a line or change a line and just kind of have fun with it, which is fine if there's time to do that. But there's rarely ever, like, I don't want to do that and then, then be like, ah, we're going to be out of time here, you know. Um, so for me, it just doesn't feel professional to do that. Not that. You can't do that. Not that you're not allowed to screw up here and there or make jokes. But I tend not to do that. Unless they say from the beginning that we have time, that we can play, we can, then, there's, then there's a bit of that. And those usually, it depends on the company. Like Anaplex is usually like okay with that. You know, Bandai, whatever, you know. Uh, and then sometimes, you know, like, when you're, if you're like, like for me, I was Ichigo. Yeah. You do fall off a little bit, you know, or you just change things, you know. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't really call those bloopers necessarily, but more like improv, I guess. Like there's a line where um, Ichigo goes in, I think it's the, it's the wrong cards of advisors, and they goes in there and they're like, so you finally decided to join us. And it was two flaps, and the script said, no way. And to me, it just wasn't strong enough. So instead, I was like, bite me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Wendy Lee was directing, I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, so, you know, sometimes we get to do things like that. But it really just depends on the project. And, you know. Thank you. Thank you. Have you ever said being in the booth, though, there's a line, there are a few lines you in front of you, and you're thinking, this is ridiculous, my job is so weird. Or you're just like, this is... In a good way, in a really good way, where you, it takes you out of it and you go, wow, this is my life. Don't, actually. No, I don't, I don't know. Um, 
The only time I've I don't think I ever am. I never think that way. Um, maybe I'm a weirdo. You're so efficient. I just, I just go in there. I'm afraid of screwing up. Efficient. You go in there and like, I better do this. Uh, no, not efficient. Boring, Johnny. No. Efficient, <laughs> Johnny. Efficient. Hello. Oh my. Hello, my dear. Um, can someone help with the mic? Thank you, sir. Hello, friend. What's your name? What's your question? My name is Gabriel, and two of my favorite roles that you played are Ichigo <coughs> and Nate from Yokai Watch. My name is Nate Adams. <laughs> That was a while ago. That was fun. What's one of your favorite roles that you've played? <sighs> That's a great question. I, I like them all. They're all very different, you know? Um, it's, it's really hard to choose just one. It's like, who's your favorite child? You know, I love <laughs> all of them. You know? and yeah, some of them are cool, nicer to me or kinder to me. Um, but, you know, because every single world is so different. Like Lelouch was really great to play. Uh, even characters like Izaya or Adachi and Arakami. You know, there's there's just so many of them. And then there's like like Kanada and Akira is more iconic. Just all throughout, there's so many of them that I, I, I really enjoy. So I don't know that I have a favorite. I, I would say that Nero and Devil May Cry. A little bit above a lot of them, but mo mostly because I got to go to Japan when I worked on it, you know. And like, and four Devil, Devil May Cry Four was the first time I got to go to Japan ever, and it was like working on a project, you know, and, and doing motion capture. So I got to do all the action stuff. So that was definitely a new experience, um, which and I almost feel like there's more of me involved in that character because it was not only the voice but the movements and the face reactions. So I guess if I had to pick one, then maybe Nero. But I think Nate's cool too. <laughs> Some of the yokai I voice. Thank you so much, friends. Thank you. Oh. Hello there. What's your name and what's your question? Straight into the mic so we can hear you, please. Uh, hello, my name's Mike from Chicago. And my question is this. What was it like to be in the Power Rangers movie? And with the sad passing of the right? Uh, what was your last interaction with him? Let me answer your first one. So the first one was, what was it like doing in the Power Ranger booth? Yes. That was awesome. You know, uh, yeah, it was like uh, the first time I got to leave the country, go to Australia, we, we shot that there. It just felt like a big thing. Um, yeah, so, uh, I don't know. Last time, gosh, you had to go dark there, didn't you? <laughs> I don't know if I should share that. No, I think I'm going to leave that between me and him. Thank you for your question. Hey, friends. What's your name? What's your question? My name is Britannia, not Britannia. Ah, uh, Britannia. <laughs> not Britannia. Not Britannia. <laughs> you play a variety of characters in a very opposing your strong values, from a Christ like figure back to a communist revolutionary. Wait, was there any of that? What? But you, can you slow down and just come straight into the mic? Yeah, that's it. Just slow down because I didn't catch that either. Okay, yeah. Uh, so you play a variety of characters who have very opposing or strong values, from a Christ-like figure, um, Vash, to a communist revolutionary who says, eat the rich, like Sabo. 
What's a character that you play that aligns with your views as a person? Before they like each character, I, I, I there's something in the character, even if it's a character like Lelouch, that I have to connect to, like his want to protect his sister. You know, so there's there's something in every character that I play that that I you know, and it doesn't always happen in the first episode. That is the moment where I'm like. Now I understand who this character is. I know the soul of this character. And so with all of them, I definitely relate to in some way. Um, now, if there is there one that's maybe more me? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think there really is because it's kind of a blend. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really across the board. I can, I can see myself very much like Nero or Ichigo, um, but then I could also see myself like Vash or Makoto. Um, occasionally, like Isaiah or Lelouch, but but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, really, it's just kind of across the board. You know, does that make sense? You know, I, I think I think any actor would probably say sort of the same thing. You have to, unless you don't have time, you have to find something that that you can relate to, to in order for you to believe yourself as that character. Thank you so much for that question. Thank you. Hello, friend. You look great. Oh, thanks. What's your name? What's your question? Uh, my name is Joe, and uh, I really enjoyed your Power Rangers. I thought you did an excellent job. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in the Power Rangers. I think if you uh, like Power Rangers, uh, MMPR specifically, you're going to really Trailers will be away. It's exciting. I'm watching the trailers. I think they're just going to spoil it. Okay. Wait for it. It's not that far away. Um, so anyway, I also really uh, thought that you did a great job portraying uh, TK Takashi in uh, Digimon, and I really thought that you did a really excellent job aging up TK because he was such a small young boy in the show, and then when you played him, he was older. I did a bit of research, and that was the <laughs> question: Did you? What kind of research did you do? I watched some of it. Okay. No, but more specifically. That character, just kind of see what I can find, and then I, there was like actually a couple different people that voiced him, um, but but because he was so young, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, there wasn't a whole lot in there about who he was necessarily, you know. Um, it's just maybe who he cared about and that kind of thing. So I was like, oh, I could take those strings, and then I used whatever I felt from that, you know, watching those the things I found, and then going into this next bit to see where is his heart this, you know, and, and thankfully they had some good stuff in there for me to play with. But yeah, I love it. I'd like to continue, for sure. Hope there's more. <laughs> well, your work paid off. You did a really good job. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Hello there, right into the mic. So I can hear you. What's your Hi, question? Hi, um, I had a question regarding um, when you voice Yu Narukami and Toru Odachi, what's it like to voice in Persona 4 the animation and the Persona 4 Arena Ultimax to voice those two characters back and forth in those sections? I, I usually didn't do them back and forth. Um, I'd be a crazy person if I didn't want to do that. But uh, 
So the game, I, the original game that I worked on, Persona 4, I thought I was only voicing Adachi. I didn't say I was going to voice any other characters, and so I just focused on Adachi. And then once I was almost done with Adachi, they were like, all right, so we got a little bit of time left, so you're going to be voicing the protagonist after that. And I was like, what? Uh, and so I didn't, you know, like, you, now I go into a game mostly, or even some anime, with like a handful of characters that I can kind of pull out of the bag if I need. Um, but that time I didn't, because I only was committed to playing this one character, so I didn't think about my range and limiting and, adjust, and keeping things in a certain area. Uh, but thankfully, the protagonist was more just call-outs, so I kind of gruffed him up and, and lowered him, and it was kind of there. And then, of course, there's more games, and he's starting to talk more, and then, of course, obviously, the animation's out, and he's, well, he's there the whole time. Um, and so I, that's when I, I had to adjust the characters. Um, so my first thought was, like, well, can I just play one of these characters, and you guys have somebody else voice the other? And I'm like, nope. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, so then I went through and I would do, if Adachi was there, I'd go through with Adachi first. And then since Narukami was a main in there, then we'd go through with him. And just make sure. And then we, we would watch, if we had time, we would watch back the scene or any scenes where they were inter interacting with each other. Just to make sure that there was enough of a difference so that you weren't like, okay, so Johnny's everybody in this? <laughs> Which I wanted to do in Bleach. For the original DVD, I was like, they're gonna release a DVD. We did this like special behind the scenes thing. And I was like, hey, can I voice every character in one episode? It just put it on like as an extra audio. Johnny and Bosch voices everyone. <laughs> and then at first they were like, yeah, that's kind of funny. So like, yeah, right, that'd be a good idea. And then they sent it off to somewhere and somebody in Japan was like, no. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Hello, I'm right into the mic um, so we can hear you. Name and question. Hello, I am Madeline, and I'd like to ask how does it feel after 10 plus years to return to the role of Ashley Stampede? How does it feel to return? Pretty awesome. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it was, it felt like for sure that they were going to. You would go with an all-in cast. And I think that's what they were originally thinking. Um, and I think it was almost the last minute where they were like, yeah, let's see if Johnny would like it. Um, so I'm super happy that they did do that. Um, because it's been great to come back in and put those, those shoes on. This world is a little different. It's a little more serious, a little darker. But if you've watched through this first season and you get to that last episode, that it's more of an eye-opener. You know, especially if you're a fan of the original. It's like, oh, that's what they did. That's pretty smart. So it's pretty clever how they, they work it in, work it out. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. I'm excited. And I'm excited for the next season, too, to see where, where that's going to be. Thank you, Mel. Thank you. Hello, friends. What's your name and question? Straight to Mike. My name is uh, Daryl. I'm from Chicago. Um, one of like my favorite roles in yours, and probably everybody's in this room, is Ichigo from Bleach. Um, and it also got me into martial arts. So to segue to my question, uh, do you feel like being a martial artist has helped you with your voice work, and if so, how? It's, it's helped me really when it comes to the fighting stuff and timing. You know, because when you're, how long have you been training? 
So I've been training for about 10 years off okay. and on. So. Okay, so I mean, so you have some experience. So, so you know, there's a lot of, first off, there's a lot of chess. And, and it's a physical chess, but it's also mental, you know, when you fight, you spar, you're setting somebody up, you're trying to, you, you're not going to beat somebody if you're just going, eh, you know, I'm just going to hurt you. You have to set them up, so you have to think a few moves ahead, right? So there's a lot of that that goes into it, and um, it, so that's part of timing, you know, like, so you got to time somebody's punch to when you're coming or you're doing a move, so there's a lot of timing involved, and of course there's a lot of, like, breathing, doing like a martial art there's a lot of kios and that sort of stuff and so whenever it came to timing stuff especially when it goes into fight stuff I, I got that like i can i don't even have to watch it you know they can just play it for me and a lot of times they would that's what they would do especially with bleach they were just all right chase it you know and i would just chase it you know because i i, I just I, could, I knew it was coming you know, because I knew if his, his hand is back here, I know the sword's going to come, you know. Or if there's a block, I can, I can read it a lot faster than I think maybe somebody else probably has to go like, wait, what did he just, can you play that again? Or they usually would write it down, you know. But for me, it's easier to just kind of like, actually, if I was like, this is what I would do. I would, oh, he's dodging, yeah, okay. So for me, it feels a little more natural. That's a weird answer, but that's what, it's, it's true. They would just, for me, fight reactions and timing things out, for me, they and I think if anybody does music, you probably, it's sort of the same sort of thing. Because you got to have good rhythms, you know. And so, I don't know if that makes any sense now, but, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That's a really good question. Thank you. It's a great question. Thank you. Our are really hard. Like, a lot of people don't, you know, they, I feel like they hold back a little bit. You know, or sometimes they, like, that's one thing I, I'm kind of proud about. Is like, I will just let it out there. If it hurts a little bit, you know, I want it to sound right. I want it to sound painful if it needs to sound painful. That's a good, great, thank you very much. Makes sense as well, I boxed, so, and you, you're surprised at the sounds that come out of you sometimes when you're fighting. Yeah, but the more you do it, the more you, those sounds just kind of become like all part of your, I don't know, arsenal now. They're quite guttural, yeah, they come from something. You understand it, and then that's why also when, I, when I'm doing action, I'm usually on my toes a little bit, you know, because you can't go off the mic. But you can drop, you know, you can drop your diaphragm and make it sound, you know, the way it needs to sound uh, if you're getting hit or whatnot. Thank you. Hello, friend. What's your name? What's your question? Uh, my name is Carlos. Let me actually have a question. What was the transition from going from uh, Power Rangers to anime? What was the transition? Yeah, your transition, like going from acting and screen. Yeah, we might not have enough time for that. <laughs> in a uh, nutshell. Yeah, in a nutshell. I had no job. Uh, I was virtually homeless. I was, I was, had a broken cot and two trash bags full of clothes and a guitar. And I was living with whoever would let me live with them until I figured out what was going to happen. And so I started to play music and I was like, well, maybe this is, you know, I'll be a musician. And I started a band. Yeah, I started a band, I Shine. It became Where Giants Fall eventually. And uh, I was like, I guess this is what I'm going to do. Um, but then I stumbled into voiceover um, because I did an action film with the stunt guys, with the Japanese stunt team, but the audio didn't work right, so I had to dub myself. So as I was in there dubbing myself for this movie, a producer walked in, he was like, hey, you got a good hero voice. Will you come audition for this animation I'm doing? And so I went in, auditioned for this animation, booked the role for Trigun, and then that opened the whole new 
door for me. So it's a complete fluke. And a lot of people ask that question because they want to know, how do I get into voice acting? They can't do it like me, unfortunately. I don't want to do it like me. <laughs> I love hearing that story because it's like the universe or something. It's just things align. And then yeah, I mean, look, you just be you and you just kind of do the best you can. And when the opportunity shows itself, you really want it because you got to go for it. Hello there, my dear Rick. Straight into the mic. Sorry, we're going to have to make you crouch down. What's your name and question? Uh, my name is Otis. Uh, my question for you is, well, look at the second first. So, I mean... Did you go in and lose specifically from from you really big influences on life? Are there any characters or actors or anyone that's had an influence on your life that you were? Good question. Uh, those characters definitely impact me. Uh, like most of them, uh, most of the bigger ones that I've done definitely had some impact on my life. And a lot of times that's like at a show like this, you know, or even Power Rangers, right? Like where I meet some of you guys and you've had a hard life or you had something really tough and this one show helped you through that. <coughs> that to me is amazing, you know, and then that I have a connection to, you know. I'm like, oh man, I have a different story, but I had some tough times too. You know, I was kidnapped when I was younger. So there's like a lot of darkness in my past, you know, so I can relate to a lot of different things. But I think it also helps me to, to do these different characters depending on you know, what they are. But yeah, I'm just throw it. I mean life life has definitely impacted me enough. Good and bad. Thank you so much. Hello my dear. Can you hope you can reach what's your name and question? Um I'm Mickey and my question is have you ever like auditioned for something and got a role that you completely did not expect? And yes. And who? Orga. Orga is one from Iron Blooded Orphans. Um, I didn't audition for him. I auditioned for Mika. Uh, because when I got the audition, I was like, they must be not listening to the anime because it doesn't sound like the character I'm usually cast for. And they're like, no, we'd like you for this character. Um, and so because he sounded, I don't know, deeper, lower register for me, I would, and because he's a soldier, and I wouldn't recommend doing this, but I did it. Because like when I would drive to work, I would scream and shout all the street signs or any sign that I saw. <laughs> so that when I showed up, I was just like, this is like I was chewing on gravel, right? Um, now you might not really hear it, but it's a texture that's in there um, because I felt like, man, this guy's been in battle. He's always shouting over like, you know, rockets and explosions, and so there's got to have that at least that in there, you know. And so I don't know if that really even answers your question, but you know, what was the question again? <laughs> I hope we answered your question. Thank. You. Thank you very much, my dear. Thank you so much. I go off on tangents. That's okay. Tangents are good. We love tangents. I love that. We only have five minutes, so I'm going to say... We're going to speed round it. Are you ready? Speed round. Okay. Name. Question. Let's go. Okay. I'm Aria, and like, what is it like when you watch something that you've been in? Wait, what? What is it like when you watch something that you've been in? Oh, what? Like afterwards? It depends. <laughs> but hopefully I'm like, yes. 
know, like, like, all right, high five everybody, you did a good job, or it sounds great, you know, like, I, I want that feeling, you know, um, the very least I can do is, like, what the Japanese actor did, you know, if I can elevate it in any way emotionally to connect with an, an American audience or an English-speaking audience, I need to do that, you know, because there are different levels uh, that you're going to, like, if you're listening to Japanese and you don't speak Japanese, there are going to be things that you're not totally picking up on, but you're just going to sense, like, this kind of overall what is happening. But in English, you can absolutely pick up on things, and that's where you can be like, all right, that person is phoning it in, or all right, that person gave it all they, they can give, or it's like, there's something else in there. So I always want to have, like, something else in there for you guys, you know, and I, I don't know that I always do it, but that's my goal of always. Thank you very much. It wasn't a short one, sorry. Speed road, speed road. Okay, my dear name, question, let's go. Hi, I'm Jack. Um, with your role for MASH, uh, did you ever bring like any parts from the original over to the current MASH, or did you plan to? Did I, did I bring any? Like, so past past MASH. Oh, well, absolutely. I 100%, well, I went through the original, because I wasn't sure, they didn't tell me anything. I didn't know what the new one was gonna be like. I just knew from pictures that he looked at. Um, I didn't know where it was starting. I didn't know if it was a prequel or a whole new thing. I didn't know anything. So I watched the original so I knew where I was. Um, and then when I went in, I was like, this is very different. And it's pretty dark. Um, and then when I listened to the, the Japanese seiyuu, I was like, well, he's not, like, he wasn't the original. So I'm hearing things that I can do a little more like the bash that I think people would remember. So I did a little bit of that. You know, so you'll hear that, but he's not, you know, if you remember the original, he's really over the top and wild and goofy, and this one, I can only pepper it in there because it's not completely appropriate for him to be always that way. So you can hear it when he's running or he's getting in a fight, or the laugh is, if you listen to the Japanese say, oh, and my laugh, my laugh is leaning a little more to the original, you know, when he's tied upside down, you know, and we changed some lines, we adjusted some lines, you know, instead of the box of pizza, you know, and a couple boxes of donuts. Uh, so there were, we did a couple things in there that were a little more nods to the original. Okay, thank you, my dear. Now this is this is the last question. Sorry. So everyone behind this person here has to sit down. Don't look at me in the eyes. I'm so I feel the sadness. Everyone back. I'll be at my table, so if you didn't get a chance, if you want to, you can swing by. And, you know, exactly. So please make this very quick. Everyone else behind this person back to their seats. Hello. Okay. Name and question, please. Hello, I'm Kevin. I, uh, this Power and Reunion, it really seems like it, just, it might be a fitting way to end the current continuity, but I hear that they're keeping the sets up, so are you, have, do you have any plans to go back, or if not, how would you like your character to end, if the, or is this a good ending for your character? Yeah, so, <laughs> not really allowed to talk about too much. <laughs> Um, I will say that this doesn't necessarily, or is not necessarily the end of my character's path. Not saying that there's more, or I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying that, just watch it, <laughs> and then you'll go, oh, okay. It, it opens it up. If you watch, and here's the thing, they only had a small amount of money to be able to put this thing together. If they had a bit more money, like Netflix is taking a gamble. They're like, well, I don't know if anybody's gonna watch Power Rangers. We'll give you this much for this little, 
you know, 30th anniversary, and then you can do whatever, it's like 10 episodes of a series. I'm like, whoa. Um, so they're like taking a gamble. So if you guys watch it, then they can do more. That's all I'm saying. There might be a possibility of like, seeing us retro rangers again, but that's up to you guys watching it. Thank you. Thank you guys all so much for being here. I appreciate you taking the time to sit in here. Thank you so much. I'll also be here tomorrow, but thank you guys. I appreciate you. You can find me on social media. And that does it for our C2E2 coverage. I want to thank the staff at C2E2 for providing Teresa and myself with press passes this year. And we hope to continue to cover the con in the future. As always, C2E2 is a wonderful convention. And I hope everyone is able to attend at some point in their nerdy life. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to Ranger Command Power Hour. You've been listening to the Ranger Command Power Hour only on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can catch a new episode every other Saturday. Find us on the Morphin Grid at www.rangercommand.com. Follow us on Twitter at RangerCommandPH. Like us on Facebook and Instagram at Ranger Command Power Hour. Ranger Command is also on Patreon. Become a patron by pledging as much or as little as you like every month and receive cool perks. By pledging, you are helping us make our show even better. Go to patreon.com slash rangercommandph to learn more. Thanks for listening.